All right, hello and welcome to episode 95 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. My name, my actual name is Stephen Hill. Can't believe that. What a brilliant name. His name, oh, not quite as good, but it's Renfrey <laughs> Deadman. It's still Renfrey Deadman. How are you, mate? You all right? Not as good as Stephen Hill. Not as good, nah. Right. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I mean, that that's a YouGov poll. Uh, that it? has been <laughs> taken to 69% of people. I wonder if we should do better than yours. I wonder if we should do our own Twitter poll to find out what our we should listeners do. think. Yeah, we We've could do. Fuck all better to do, haven't we? So. We have, we no, no. So, anyway, welcome to Riot Act live from Durham this week. Um, not really, a little bit of satire to start the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this week, we're going to be talking about new releases from the 1975 Mrs. Piss, yes, really, and Antethic and Plus on Broken Records. We submerge our hands as deeply as we can down the U bend of music. As we talk blood, sweat and towers by the Towers of London. Lordy, 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 Renfrey. Mm. Already, spoiler alert, fucking hell. What a piece of, sh- what a piece of shit. Terrible. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a right laugh. That um, We should give a big shout out to our friends at Musicism as ever. Uh, musicism.net is the place where you can go if you want to become a better guitarist, singer, songwriter, producer, musician, just general human being. Um, they have many, many online tutorial courses for you, which is specifically sort of tailored to make you better at stuff. Um, good <laughs> Self-improvement. Yeah, hmm. which is something we all need. Yeah, in these, tr- in these troubling times, um, go over there. You it's can like get twenty five percent again. You are? Is that or your mum's friend again? No. <laughs> no. Um, get twenty five percent off when call you put yourself a... the Rock Boys. You love that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> right, was a... That was one for the ages. Episode ninety three. We're talking about one for the ages. That um, you can also get twenty five percent off when you put the code Riot in capitals in the checkout. Um, so yeah, go over there and do that. Go over also to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Riot Act Podcast. There's been a plethora of new stuff that has gone up over the last week, including a writer's review with me and Renfrey talking about Betty by Helmet. Mm-hmm. Mm, Betty, the big riffs are coming. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Um, and also part two. <laughs> oh, oh, God. That was, I shouldn't, no I shouldn't laugh that much that at that reference. No of course they are. Of course they are. We, I suppose, actually, we're doing a 1975. People are just tuning in for the 1975. Hello, we're old. Um, we've also got part two of our two-part Glassjaw special. Renfrey picked both the Glassjaw albums as classic albums. If you sign up on the £5 tier over at patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, you get access to all of our classic album series podcasts, the finest podcasts that we do, and Worship and Tribute is up there now, which was... Um, Interesting, I think, Renfrey, to put it mildly. Yeah, um, it's clearly a record that I like a lot more than you do. There was definitely a sense of you taking a back seat more so uh, than you did with everything you ever wanted to know about silence. Mm. Um, but it's a record which I've learned to my ears just hasn't dated at all in the 18 years that it's been uh, a thing. Um, yeah and just like just us both the fact that we both have very vivid stories about the first time that we listened to the record and stuff like that i mean those are always important records i think 
So mm, yeah, I, mate. I mean, I think you know if you listen to the chat, both of those records I think are really good. Yeah. Um. It, but what that podcast made me realise is there is an enormous amount of love for Glassjaw, and I thought just liking Glassjaw was enough. But actually, Glassjaw are one of those bands that have this quite rabid cult following. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am not a card-carrying member mm-hmm. of that cult following, whereas I think you you are. I think we so. discovered that I definitely am, especially when you I definitely was am. a quivering wreck trying to explain how much I love that band. <laughs> yeah. Well, we even went into... I mean, for those of you who haven't heard it yet, well, we obviously won't spoil too much, but we went kind of beyond i mean we kind of did glassdoor's entire career over the course of those two podcasts really didn't we more or less it just felt that especially if you're focusing on their discography <laughs> i mean they probably won't like it being referred to as this but it's like everything you ever wanted to know about silence worship and tribute and everything else you know and you yeah. can do and everything else in about 45 minutes so we were like mm-hmm. right, we can tag that on the end yeah so. apart from coloring book which we will be doing on a future yeah rioters review and going a little bit more in depth into that so um yes that is out the next one that you should be getting will be the manic street preachers duology we're going to have the holy bible and everything must go we're going to give the holy bible away for free for everyone just seems like a nice thing to do mm. um uh, but yeah if you want to sign up as i said again patreon.com forward slash right act podcast go to the five pound tier and you'll get access to one all the other ones that we've already put up and there are plans for some pretty big specials coming up from that that part of the, the podcast isn't absolutely there? and i feel like i can say this again i'm pretty sure i said it before but uh i edited the manic street preachers podcast just yesterday as we record this and uh i genuinely think it's one of the best things we've ever done and it was uh your pick so i feel like i can say that um yeah really fascinating uh five and a half hour dive it will be after edits yeah. uh into both of those records and um uh both records which are as fascinating as each other which i definitely would not have would not have uh thought before we started doing that so yeah fucking excellent um anyway let's move on uh, i had a, i saw a little note uh, over on the download forum we have a little thread on the download forum where people say for the most part for well i'd say 99.999 percent of the stuff said on that about the podcast is uber positive so thanks they're it's, very yeah, nice people it's fantastic um, I, I, we should shout out I, d- I can't remember who started it now but we didn't start it someone else started it mm. right at the beginning of the show and it's it's actually been a constant source of i sometimes just go in there to cheer myself up (laughs) you know like it's been it's been a really nice way to directly connect with a few of you um that we don't get to do other over other forms of social media now that i've told everyone about it everyone will go over there now won't they well i hope they do um i don't look at it that much to be honest because i'm busy with my life um but i do try to have a little look on there now and again i don't always get to read everything but i did notice quite an interesting thing um, you don't like mingling with the plebs either that's what you call oh shut up that's not true um zone of danger on the download forum pointed out something which i thought was quite interesting um the reading festival 2011 second stage uh was closed up one night by headliner pete doherty i think this has been inspired by us doing viva brother so pete doherty headline he was subbed by viva brother and ed sheeran uh he says talk about an early night i mean fuck me talk about hibernation i would go into hiding and sleep for 
a fucking year to get away from that, let alone just go to bed early on the day. Um, That's pretty appalling. That is appalling. And I thought I was going to say, oh, you know, what's the worst three bands you've seen back to back at a festival? But, you know, there's probably going to be a fair bit of negativity in this week's podcast. So I thought, let's not be negative. Um, Renfri, best three art, best, flip this on its head, best three artists run you've ever seen at a festival. Oh, best three artists run. Shit. Okay. Um, peek behind the you've just picked your best I just three picked three act. three best festivals <laughs> oh shit you oh idiot. fuck okay alright do you want to do your well, you have to riff it aren't you think about it uh, yeah sure um, Prodigy Regent's Machine Offspring I mean I'll add in Terrorvision and Weezer in, even though Weezer had a bit of a stinker that day back in Reading 96 the first festival I ever went to was setting the bar incredibly high I think I mean you've got the Prodigy on the back of Firestarter they're pretty much the most lauded live band on the planet at that point Rage Against the Machine on Evil Empire uh were just you know a staggeringly great live band however you slice it um they were I mean they they blew the prodigy I think I said a bunch of times they blew the prodigy off stage Hmm. that day they absolutely toasted them they were incredible and um and Offspring when they only had the self-titled uh Ignition and Smash Out when Dexter Holland had his braids, his dreadlocks, it's yeah. that long again. Yeah, the dreadlock Dexter Holland era. Like, you know, Offspring became, they were always a bit cartoony, but they got like way more cartoony, probably a bit more on Ixnay on the Hombre, but obviously way more on Americana, which is where I started to kind of drift out of interest with the Offspring when they became a little bit too, when everything tried to be kind of keep them separated um, mm-hmm. or come out and play, sorry. And, but back then, you know, you've got a set, taken pretty much entirely from ignition and smash mm-hmm. and they were fucking excellent and being a sort of wide-eyed 16 year old seeing a band that i really love like offspring of that record smash and dookie is such a such big records for me getting into sort of punk and heavier music absolutely seeing them then uh it was it was very very exciting i felt like i just caught the last i think it, they were just milked the very very last bit out of the smash era before they went on to Ixnay on the Hombre and I felt like I just got in at the very last minute to see them when they were still proper proper brilliant so yeah that was great um I think Faith the More Corn Limp Biscuit oh you're doing several are you doing several I'm doing several oh shit I'm giving I'm giving you plenty of time to think about it Renfrey have you got one I've got one and I've cheated on it (laughs) go on you fucking (laughs) um well, as soon as you said three, uh, three band runs on festivals, uh, immediately I did think of Sonosphere because fucking hell, they did some brilliant mm. runs. Like, yeah, you know, that's a great show, actually. I do really miss that festival. And um, yes, okay, I think I've cheated this slightly, but all the bands played on this day and I saw them all um, just on slightly different stages. But I basically went from Weezer into Gojira into Biffy Clyro which was yeah i remember that fucking mm. amazing just in terms mm. of like covering all of my bases in one lovely it was a really sunny bright lovely day yeah. uh one sunny afternoon slash evening it was just amazing um so that Mate, was- I, I i do remember there was a run at sonosphere on a sunday i think it was in 2010 where it was soulfly on the second stage skin dread on the main stage Fear Factory on the second stage, Anthrax on the main stage. And this is when I hadn't seen Anthrax and wasn't like a bit bored yeah, of them. Yeah. And that 
like kind of what would that have been three and a half four hour period was just non-stop like every single song that every single band played i knew all the words to and i was just like this is great so yeah, yeah sonosphere were, were fucking good at that they fucking amazing good. at it yeah yeah mm. um I did. I mean, there's that one from from Reading. Also, like I say, Faith the More, Corn, Limp Biscuit, and Download 2009 was very special. I mean, I'd add in Killswitch Engage and Billy Talent into that as well, who were both brilliant on that day. But Biscuit coming back was. I mean, I know you're not a big Limp Biscuit fan, but did you uh, you you were at that, weren't you? Which, Download 2009. No, you weren't. Okay. I mean, the level of excitement for Limp Biscuit coming back was mental and when they started it was like oh this is like 1998 all over it do you know what i mean it was like really the whole field but i don't think i've ever seen the field bounce like that to i hadn't for years seen a like a field bouncing like that like they were for, for biscuit and they were great corn were pretty good i mean they're corn they're always good um i did actually nip off to watch the first half of opeth while corn were on i kind of fucked that up a bit because i believe i watched the first half of opeth and then they ended with um, the Grand Conjuration. I went and didn't see that. But I did see Corn doing, we don't need no <laughs> control. Uh, so I don't really right. know if this deserves to be in there that much. But it's kind of worth it just for the return of Faith No More, who were fucking yeah. incredible. And I think that's the best festival headline slot I've ever seen. Uh, the weirdest, it was definitely status quo into hate breed, into deep purple back in Hellfest 2014 wow. and they had a bunch of them weird ones at Hellfest I think I had Behemoth ended and then two minutes later Soundgarden were on on the stage right next to it um wow. yeah really cool but very very odd to have a bunch of status quo fans kind of walking away as Jamie Jaster walked out and just incited the biggest fucking circle pit you've ever seen in your life yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah happy days so there's been a few um but yeah, nothing can really beat Pete, Do- Pete Doherty, Viva Brother, and Ed Sheeran, can it? No, that's pretty atrocious. I think I can. I think I can think of one more. Although again, I might be cheating it because I'm doing it off the top of my head. So if I've got this slightly wrong, then I do apologise. But it's from right. it's from last year as well, um, 2000 trees. Now I think I got this right. Every time I die on the main stage, yeah. doing hot damn in full one of my least favorite every time i die albums and it was still an incredible set they just don't do bad shows and it was wicked to hear all of that material live as well because it's not the best recording hot damn but hearing things that you didn't really hear from the record and stuff like that was amazing and they played for an hour the first half hour was hot damn the second half hour was just the hits quote unquote it was fucking amazing I actually left that set five minutes early, uh, despite how incredible it was, because I really wanted to get a good spot for the armed. Um, oh, right. <clears throat> oh, my God. And it was the arms. I don't think I've discussed this with you because I think you were off that show. I was. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, they set up like a kitchen table in the middle of the mosh pit and they had loads of food on there, like ham sandwiches and cake, I think. They had their man dressed as a bush, as they normally do. I think he's mm. re- he's retired now. Um, and then the whole place just went off. And none of them were on stage at any time, except for the drummer. Um, and this massive food fight erupted in the middle of a mosh pit. And you're just watching this thing going, I've never seen anything like this ever, anywhere. 
and their the music they're playing is absolutely incredible i mean it is it's just one of those sets where you know when you see the you know when you see the footage of like greg jumping on people's heads at that virgin megastore dillinger performance. yeah yeah i feel like if there's video footage of that arm show it's going to be one of those shows or where the chariot go back to that guy's place and play on his roof you yeah know? i love that oh like it was it was that mad and, it's, and i was there thinking i'm living this i'm living youtube footage right now <laughs> this is insane <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and then that was followed up by mongol horde frank turner's um sort of uh, heavier refused influenced hardcore project um who were just fucking amazing um frank turner was just like covered in glitter and uh stage diving like he was in the crowd more than he was uh on the stage the new song sounded fucking amazing that band are tight as hell they're one of the most interesting intricate intelligent hardcore bands around at the moment even though they've only got that one record but it's such a good record um but they also know how to take the piss out of themselves as well you can't have a song about um natalie portman's tapeworm escaping out of her ass and you know taking over hollywood without having a sense of humor mm. um mm. so yeah um yeah uh, that's pretty good that yeah. reminds me actually you bring up the chariot reminds me of that the day that that amazing did you go to that heavy fest in 2012 <laughs> Which I am is, really sad to say I never went to Heavy Fest, which consider, right, considering the music that it was, it's insane that I never went, frankly. Yeah. I mean, there was a light, there was one day where it was Meshuggah into Glassjaw into Andrew WK, which is yeah. ma- which is absolutely, yeah. I think it was actually Norma Jean into Meshuggah into Glassjaw into Andrew WK, which was fucking mad. And then the last day, it would have been Will Haven into 100 Reasons doing Ideas Above Our Station in full into um converge into the descendants but will haven pulled oh. out um okay. so it was yeah 100 re- but, but 100 reasons to do an idea above our station in full into bloody converge into the descendants like none of those bands really sound like each other but they're all sort of vaguely related you could kind of get that that venn diagram oh yeah totally. uh, definitely links up quite heavily um yeah like there was some ma- and that was that last day that day with the descendants and 100 reasons and i think Madball and h2o and the chariot played that day i mean the chariot were just i don't remember it's one of the most incredible things i've, I've ever seen and it was like a less it was about a third full that tent mental anyway that's a shame that um, that that festival's not around anymore because it was fucking great, heavy. Did you really, really to, great. Did you go to every one? No, I went in 2012 and I went to the last one, which I believe was 2015, where it was Coheed doing In Secrets of... Uh, in Silence Keeping of silent, the Planet. Yeah. Keeping Silent, yeah. And <clears throat> Dillinger Subdom. Like Dillinger, and I think it was Protestor Hero. And then Thrice and the Get Up Kids were the next day. So it was, like a two, it was only a two-day one rather than three. Uh, and it was really good, you know, and it was good, and it was, you know, it was outdoors. I think Black Black, Black Peaks and Milk Teeth played way down the bottom mm-hmm. of the the main stage. This first time I saw Creeper mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. Um, a judge, but yeah, it's a fucking great festival that was. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. good. I wish I could have gone. Yeah, and they had an animal park as well. Yeah, saw it was big, on a zoo, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I saw a tiger and a, a silverback gorilla as well. <laughs> Excellent. Isn't that, you, that in, you in the mirror? Uh, anyway (laughs) if it was i would 
peel you like a banana and eat you. Oh. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Uh, should we do some reviews? Uh, the reason why we've put so much positive stuff at the start of the show is that I know what's coming. Uh, <laughs> let's start with uh, the, the big album. One of the biggest albums of the year, an album that came out last week. We didn't get sent it. No, we're not important enough. Um, <laughs> the 1975 Notes on a Conditional Form, the fourth album from essentially the biggest kind of indie band of the last decade um we did review their previous album a brief inquiry into online relationships at the tail end of 2018 which was not only a massive commercial smash like all of their records have been it also fared incredibly well critically and all um they won best band and best uh, and all yeah a bit bit park life that wasn't it um are you eating fucking after eight still (laughs) Renfrey cheering himself up because he's got to talk about the 1975 by <laughs> stuffing his face full of after eights at 32 minutes past midday on a Wednesday. So, yes. Fair enough. Um, I had some lovely raisin Wheaties. I I put some, if I put some milk on after eights, that'd taste all right. It'd be a kind of... <laughs> oh, oh, minty milk, you mad get. Uh they won best band and best new al- and best album at the Brits. Um, I was there. I saw them play. Uh, it was pretty unremarkable. They got a five out of five review for the album The Enemy. And crucially, as you and I, Renfrey, circled like sharks around the record, ultimately we backed off and were fairly positive about it, or at least I was fairly positive about it. You um, went. You went back to it. Whereas I did. I, yeah, I didn't, but I. I did mellow my when I first heard it. I hated it. Same. And mm. and my that thawed over a period of a week or so. Mm. But yeah. So here we have the follow up. And to be fair, for such a big band, it's come out pretty quickly. And I think that it's fairly apparent um, why it's come out quite quickly. As this here is a double album. 22 tracks last nearly 80 minutes and it's filled to the brim with just about every single idea that they must have come up with in that kind of 15 16 month period um we have to take this quote from uh matty healy their enigmatic front man into account before we go any further because i know renfrey you sent me this and you were apocalyptically angry when you sent it to me um he did an interview with billboard and he said i feel like we are now one of if not the definitive band of the whole last decade. I would say Radiohead were the band of the 90s and they went on to make my favourite records outside of that decade. You know what I mean. So I'm just going to continue to operate. I'm not going to rest on my laurels. Uh, Now that's fine. If you want to say that you're the new Radiohead, if you want to say that you're the definitive band of that generation, fine. But you need to back it up. And it's really not up to you to decide whether or not you are the new Radiohead. It's for the rest of the world I think to that, decide. I think that's what annoys me the most about quotes mm. like that. It's like, it's not up to you, mate. Mm. It's up to the general public. Yeah. Um, who, to be fair, uh, do seem to quite like the 1975. Oh, they do. And again, yeah. um, the, uh, the, the, the reviews for this are mixed. It got five in the enemy again. Um, it's had some pretty mixed reviews, some pretty awful ones. It's had some pretty not-so-bad ones. But anyway, fuck everyone else's review. Right. This is our show, and this is us talking about it. Um, Renfrey, I'm going to let you start on this. What do you think about...
about notes in a conditional form. It's messy, isn't it? Mm. Um, as you mentioned, they are the current darlings of the new musical express, aka the enemy, uh, and they seem to have a mounted, mounted, mounted a campaign to try and persuade anyone who will listen that the 1975 are indeed the best band on the planet. Um, I guess some people are listening, but not enough to convince everyone. This album has a score of 69 on Metacritic, which is not bad, but it's not great, is it? Um, <clears throat> you said to me over the phone that if I thought Bring Me The Horizons ammo sounded like a playlist, and I had no idea, you had no idea what I was going to make of this. Well, Steve, you're right. <laughs> this is perhaps not surprising when you consider that this album was written largely on tour and recorded in 16 different studios. Yeah, with a and, lot of people involved. Yeah. In it, a lot of people. And it sounds like it. It's all over the place. It doesn't sound like a record. It sounds like a playlist. We have a new... I've been wanging on about how Ammo is the best example of that for the past i don't know 18 months however long it's been we have a new contender ladies and gentlemen this is the new standard for having your album sound like a playlist it's got everything on it hasn't it? it's got an arco punk electronica it's got an alarming amount of crap commercial r&b on it yeah i think maybe you and i will differ on the terminology of crap okay uh there's also quite a lot of sort of banjo-y country you know trying to be the national yeah. acoustic yeah. stuff yeah um really falling low uh, like well falling far from the bar well, well this is the thing isn't it like when you set that bar i mean i'll tell you what that opening track there's a, the, the track the 1975 is the opening track it is mm. essentially um five minutes of greta thunberg uh the, she of um you know kind of saving the planet fame yeah uh <laughs> ecological activism um fame uh, who, who i have absolutely no beef with at all do no. you know what i mean like none at all but um <laughs> if you're comparing yourselves to radiohead radiohead have had would have had the good sense to either chuck you know cut that right down a or more likely chuck it in the fucking bin mm -hmm. where it belongs yep. it is a disastrous opening track it's a terrible. disastrous embarrassing opening track this I, I said it sounds like a half-finished cigarose demo with greta thunberg thunberg um narrating over the top and mm. like calling the song the 1975 as if it describes their entire ethos and sort of reason for being you know, Iron Maiden have Iron Maiden. The nineteen seventy five of this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. fucking hell! I don't even like Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden yeah. all that much, but I take it over this. Or any Black Sabbath time. by yeah. Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite. You know, um, the enemy said this sprawling album, which encompasses everything from electronica to anarcho punk, sees Matty Healy take a wrecking ball to his own ego. How is that taking a wrecking ball to your ego exactly? Um, how is putting out an 80-minute, 22-track double album just 18 months after your last album was released taking a wrecking ball to your ego? It, it's just the one. It's such a preposterous review. It's just preposterous. It's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 it's the sort of review that I read and I kind of go, I do understand why people sometimes think that we get paid off 
to do this stuff now. Mm. <laughs> you know? Well, it's stuff like there's a song in it called Roadkill, which kind of sounds like Moby remixing Shania Twain. It's really yeah, crap. It does. And it kind of goes on about um, a radio station, radio stations mugging me off across the nation. And I think it's supposed to go, you know, and you just, you don't go, oh, poor lamb. You just go, shut up. They're, everyone's playing your fucking music. Yeah. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Everybody's playing your music. What is the problem here? Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't taking a wrecking ball to your ego. That is pump puffing yourself up to be like, oh, please be sympathetic towards me because, you know, some people don't play us on the radio. What about the people that don't play us on the radio? And it's like, or, you know, or what about the, anyone who questions any of the number of ludicrous things that I have said? You know, like the problem with this with with Matt, Matty Healy is is that he just comes across as incredibly dislikable as yeah. a person, and I think that's that's not a problem for this record, as I will discuss the more we get into the record. But I mean, some people like Axl Rose, Kanye West, Liam Gallagher, Bono. Do you know what I mean? There are artists that are comparable who you know. Bono is like, I mean, I've been watching some U2 stuff recently, yeah. some documentaries. And Bono is, I mean, he's the, the tour that I reviewed back at the end of 2018, um, the Age of Innocence tour was on Sky, uh, Sky Arts recently. And I watched it to watch it back. And I mean, and my girlfriend who listens to U2 but doesn't really pay much attention to what there was like oh my fuck it will somebody shut that guy up she's like i'm never listening to u2's music again and she was like i really like u2 and i'd like to go and see them and then she watched that that concert and was like that guy is so full of shit and i was a bit like you know there there are babies who i don't know how she managed to keep this from herself like there are babies who get their umbilical cord cut and then go is bono still a cunt like every (laughs) surely everybody knows that right but you know she didn't and she was like what a dislikable fucking idiot and i would you know He's an you know an absolutely ludicrous egomaniac, but he's made some un, some incredible records, some absolutely incredible records. And I think you know much like when I say you the, the whole separate the art from the artist thing, it's got to kind of work on every level really for me. And if somebody is a massive egomaniac, but they make a good album, as much as you might not want to like it, you kind of have to admit it. But I think it is a problem when you watch and listen to Matt Healy going on spunking on and you just think i just you're doing my fucking nothing mate you're absolutely doing my nothing yeah i actually turned around to you steve and said i don't know I, like after seeing that interview i mean i think you've taken the most bullheaded stupid thing he says in the interview but there are loads of stupid things that he says in that interview yeah, i've seen enough interviews with that guy to just yeah. know that he is you know but anyway we'll um we'll get into him in a bit but, but it's hard with him as context to to kind of judge this album well i turned around to you last week and i said look i don't think we're going to get that 1975 album can we just do a news piece on how much of a cunt matty healy is instead uh, and that billboard article was you know exhibit a <laughs> for me mm. um and uh and you said no you think we should review we're it. better than that yeah I, I agree i agree and i'm glad you said no but um yeah mm. uh mm. prick. um he's yeah <laughs> he he's like a, a real prick and that opening that opening <clears throat> song is just it just put my back up it's, straight away it's, it's so, so up, bad. it's so up its own ass mm. but then 
And you mentioned Anarcho-Punk. It yeah. goes into the, the sort of first proper song on the record called The People, which is people might have heard it's a single. Um, now, even though it's a fairly unremarkable song, I do like the idea of it because it's opening this absolutely massive record, which is probably going to be number one in a thousand countries, with a, you know, for mainstream standards, a genuinely heavy song. And it's going to expose a lot of people to harder, heavier guitars, yep. which they may never have heard before. And I don't actually think that is a bad thing, even though the song itself is, it's not a shit song. It's its perfectly functional, but it's oh, not great. I'd describe it as adequate. Uh, I think it's perfectly mm. adequate. Um, I think it comes in sounding like a well, uh, a less well-crafted version. You might not know this record very well, but one, uh, a less well-crafted version of one of the songs from um, Brand News Daisy. Um, I saw The Independent yeah, compared it to Fugazi. I don't think that's a million yeah. miles away. Mm. No? Well... I think... Uh, I mean, my Brand New Daisy uh, thing's better, but I don't... I, I can see where... A mainstream publication like the indie would go Fugazi, you know. I haven't thought like I mean because it's not really that heavy. I mean, so I, I mean I was thinking kind of mid-era Biffy Clyro, really more. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not a bad song, as you say. I don't think it's too bad. It does. I don't know if it really seems to fit the 1975, and there's no. nothing else on this record like it. So it sticks no. out like a sore thumb. I mean, to put well, it in track two is very brave um i don't know it it it, it still f i don't think the song is good enough to redeem the weirdness of it being on there and of them doing it in the first place no and i think this is this is the problem really because then there's a kind of instrumental track called the end open brackets music for class cars not class cars close brackets which is a kind of sweeping orchestral stuff that is nice enough but it just kind of gets chucked straight in after that as an opener and it just completely alters the entire vibe and it kills everything sort of stone dead it changes yeah. the record it's not really seamless it feels very random now i don't know call me old-fashioned remfrey but that is not how you make an album that is not how you make a great album just not by ping-ponging around all over the place no 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 You've, you're, th mean... you're three tracks in and already you go well i don't really know what this is and again the comparisons to bands like radiohead or i'm sure they they think of themselves as you know bowie talking heads mm. whatever huge you know artistically credible bands you want to chuck in there i don't i don't think those bands would make such a an error of judgment no in the way that the 1975 do at the start of this record no um i did wonder if maybe it was done purposefully i have no idea um i think I think it's proof that they don't think about music like as an album. I think it's proof that it's far more sort of cynical than that. And I've made the point before, probably on the Bring Me the Horizon review, I imagine the more different songs you have on an album uh, and the more different genres and different styles and so on and so forth that you have within what within an album. Uh, the more likely you'll get onto different playlists on Spotify. And that's how a lot of bands get traction these days. That is what a lot of bands are chasing. Uh, and that is to get on these playlists and these um, influential playlists that millions and millions of people listen to every single day and just mm. make your stats go stratospheric, you know? Mm. Um, and it just, yeah, you're three songs in 
and you don't have any sense of cohesion you don't even have any sense that the band even attempted any sense of cohesion at all i mean at this early stage it feels like the sort of equivalent you know those people who are just like i like a little bit of everything you know mm. I, the, there isn't anything that i don't like and then you play them a blast beat and they sort of run away cowering those people i find they do tend to have quite wide taste in music but they don't tend to love any of it it's all just sort of nice background noise really yeah. and that's just what this album is to me a lot of the time like because it's so unsure of itself and it doesn't know the um the guardian headline for their review summed it up brilliantly it said an uncertain album for uncertain times this mm. is one of the most uncertain unsure of it albums i've ever heard mm. and the thing is like i think you're right because but then in isolation you get a song like after the sort of first three tracks frail state of mind comes in and it's actually really i think it's good it's poppy it's nice yeah. And then the song streaming comes in and it's more orchestral stuff again. And you're like, this is all over. You've just done this. Yep. Like, what are you doing? It's, like, more, who, it's more cigarose demo stuff. Yeah. Who thought that that would be a good idea? Like, you're then starting to think, is this an orchestral album? But with other stuff just bunged in, mm -hmm. in the middle of it. Like, I don't really understand. I mean, the, for me, the first time it gets where I was like, I quite like this is there's a song called The Birthday Party. And the first it's it's nice i mean musically again i think it's an inferior to something that say the national would do and it seems very much like it's tailored for the american market it's slightly cynical but it's still a good song i think it's actually a, pr a pretty good song and i was like you know from all of this suddenly here's something that i actually like but it's had to kind of like change it's like changing the channels on a radio station you kind of flick until you find something you like and i was like oh here it is. I found something that I like. Changing channels on a radio station is uh, not verbatim, but a, a phrase that I put into my notes as well. So I think that's very mm. telling. Um, there are songs that I like on this record, but we're not there yet. Um, next to my notes, I put the birthday party is sappy bullcrap. <laughs> oh, right, I'm six tracks in and already wishing for this album to be over. Just 16 mm. tracks to go fuck my life <laughs> those are my notes for that song i mean it falls its ass even more with yeah i know which is a sort of nothing Terrible. song really bad sounds so dated and it like has this awful vocoder vocals on it and some lyrics about eating shit that are just abysmal Matt, i mean that wouldn't have even wouldn't have even made it onto that bring me the horizon ep from earlier this year i thought it was a, dreadful that's very harsh uh matty healy compared the 1975 to radiohead recently as you said yeah i know sounds like a bad song from the kid a amnesiac period yeah. um i i think it's something they probably wouldn't have they probably would have abandoned pretty early on in their writing process. Kid A, it's more like fucking a beated, uh, uh, <laughs> aborted fetus A, if you like. Right. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the stuff like, you know, I think uh, then because she goes is much more kind of early Britpop, shoegazy vibes, never really done to the standard of the best of those bands, not even close really some kind of vocoder bollocks, which I just, it just doesn't sound cutting edge to me. And it sort of undermines the whole thing. That vocoder effect now to me sounds, you know what I mean? That vocal, like, yeah. Yeah. it just it, it, like 
surely that's been done to the yeah. point where it just sounds like 2011 yeah. when you put it in now yeah. to me i think i'm pretty bored of it yeah um you know uh, a lot of people talk about the the song jesus christ 2005 god bless uh which features phoebe bridges yes and um i think that's an excellent song actually yes it is by far and away my favorite song on the record um we oh have... dear wow you definitely don't think that but okay okay um mm. we haven't really had an opportunity to discuss my absolute adoration for the phoebe bridges um, mm-hmm. But I love her. I think she's incredible. Um, we will get an opportunity to discuss it because her second album's coming out soon. Hooray! Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just, I, I maybe I just, I'm totally smitten with her. I think I kind of am, to be honest. Uh, everything she's done thus far, I absolutely adore. Um, but yeah, when she comes in, my heart just sort of melts. It's that kind of fella playing guitar under a coconut tree jack johnson vibe except not quite as bad as that <laughs> mm. um but it, it is but for me i don't think it's the best song ever um but it is by far the best song on the album for my money okay well you're massively wrong about that i okay. have to say but um but i mean i mentioned roadkill was rubbish i mean it gets this again it kind of for me it, like it starts a little bit like oh what and then it gets better and then it gets up to there and then it's sort of it gets a bit mushy again because oh, there's kind of endless kind of flabby pop songs with there's one um me and you together song where matty healy's going sorry that i'm queer people think i'm gay which doesn't it doesn't make a good song it doesn't it just makes me kind of roll my eyes into the back of my head like fucking uma thurman in pulp fiction do you know what i mean it's absolutely <laughs> it's it's really not good and and then uh well just to add to that i put me and you together song is a janglier version of i miss you by blink 182 (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a bit yeah um then after a few songs and i was so kind of getting so apathetic to this record along comes nothing revealed everything denied which i think is amazing (laughs) you're about to slag it off aren't you it sounds like r kelly um right let's do my notes and then you can defend it okay uh two sentences nothing revealed everything denied evoked stevie wonder genuine and right said fred all in the same song even worse than it sounds (laughs) Uh, i think it's wicked (laughs) i think like i that's what i want them to sound like they are a pop band, right? Yeah. Pianos and like kind of j- that jazz piano, gospel choir bits. I mean, I just think that's what they, you know, what they are. And it sort of gives you, and, and then, you know, it does that. And then it sort of gives you a sort of messy little instrumental thing called shiny collarbone. And then the single, which most people have probably heard and I heard, and this is sort of why I wanted to do the album because a single came out, um, i think you, just before, too shy, before let me know if you're too shy let me know it came out just before the out like about a month ago i think and that song is not just the best song on this record is the best song of the year so far <laughs> it is fucking inc- it is amazing that song it sounds like tears for fears everybody wants to rule the world it sounds like madonna it's got proper 80s vibes mm. I, and i don't care how uncool 
or how trying to be cool. I can't even fucking keep up anymore. I don't know if I'm uncool for saying that or if I'm desperately trying to look like I am cool. I, I'm that old. I don't fucking know. But I don't care. It, it that That is, it's brilliant. It's done. And that's great. I mean, I, I, I just listen to that and I go, why do you only do that once? Mm. You're clearly brilliant at that. Mm. You're fucking brilliantly. I mean, why can't you just unashamedly be a great, pop band like in like in excess mm. or mm, mm. be phil collins fuck it you won't be as cool or whatever but you know cheesy 80s music for the new generation this is what you are lads mm. you fucking mm. cracked it do that do that do you know what i think you've got a really good point actually um whilst i don't so if you're too shy let me know uh i said it has a lot of 80s in it uh huey lewis and the news i said which is probably yes. less accurate okay fine oh um, no with the sax yeah fucking yeah. great um i basically said whilst i wouldn't choose to listen to this song myself i think it is done very well and then i was going to ask you what you thought of it well we know what you think of it so you you mm. agree you think it's really 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 good um i certainly think they do it very very well and like yeah an album of that probably wouldn't go amiss um and I could at least get behind that album and go, well, you know what? I don't like it, but they do it really well, you know? Mm. And I can't say that for a lot of this record. There are bits where I'm like, yeah, that's a really well put together song. But for every, well, how many songs are there? 22 songs. 22. I reckon there's only six maximum that I could honestly say that's a really well crafted song. And actually that mm. seems a little kind. <laughs> If yeah maybe uh, i don't know if you're too shy i would put in there whatever my favorite song was i'd put in there jesus christ he does a five god bless yeah. america i mean i'll put the birthday party in fine i'll put streaming even though it's an interlude yeah people's all right isn't it just for some yeah different. i'll put people in i mean that's fine I think the birthday you know like um I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you something for nothing though. Absolutely nothing post if you're too shy, let me know is going in on there because the album drops Dips. from, oh, it yeah. it goes from being, well, obviously not in your mind for that song, but it goes from overall being pretty fucking low to in some sort of well of shame. It's just yeah, the, so bad, the ending. Yeah, the end of the, end of the record, uh, I mean, it's not good. Uh, this to me feels like a hidden ep inside a labyrinth of something do you know what i mean like there is a <laughs> there is a hidden eight track ep in here which is real of very eclectic unusual stuff put together which is excellent i i also think it's probably worth giving them credit for attempting to do so much and not being bound by any kind of genre tropes at all i think that's a fairly commendable thing and we've commended it for other artists so we should do that it's again you know what it's diverse as fuck i've been mm. listening to the white album by a band you might have heard of called the beatles quite a lot recently they're coming up again in a minute um and um that is a diverse album notes yeah. in a conditional form it's probably even more diverse than the white album by the beatles mm. mm-hmm. yeah possibly so i'll give it that i mean doesn't make it better <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'll get, but I'll, i will it say it's and it's about the same length as well yeah, I mean, and I, I, to be honest, like, eat, there's stuff on it that I think is all right. There's stuff on it that I think is good. 
there's one song on it. There's probably two, two songs, two or three songs in there that I think are really, really good. Mm. I think production overall, again, you know, I, I, I said the thing that kind of switched it last time was that the production was is fucking astonishing. And again, this record sounds amazing. Everything they try and do, bar the anarcho punk thing. Mm. I mean, the idea that that's what anarcho punk sounds like. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Yep. Yep. But um. Bar the kind of trying to be heavy, I think they get the production right on all of it, even though I think they use some fairly dated tricks. Um, mm-hmm. But if that's dated, as in to mean uh, evocative of a certain period of time, a la if you're too shy, um, mm-hmm. which I like, is fine. But, you know, when you're talking about songs like Roadkill, when the the, the eh, like vocal bit comes mm-hmm. in, that is uh, something which I is dated and i don't think it's come back round to being good and Absolutely you know not. kind of like oh remember when that was a thing like oh doesn't that sound like if people start using that again in 20 if it stops today which it really should do and then people start using it again in 20 years it might be like the sax solo you uh-huh. know like now people are going oh sax solos it's so 80s and yeah at the time anything with a fucking saxophone in people were just like oh fuck off with your saxophones it's cheesy Absolutely. shit um and no and people don't really feel like that anymore because it's really evocative of a certain time but you need to give it a little bit longer than just like two years yeah um yeah it's all over the place um uh and i mean i to be yeah there's there's an ep of a good ep in here and and i think that some of it's all right and some of it's pretty bad so i mean I feel I've sort of gone. Yeah, it's quite good. About two 1975 albums now, and it's, I feel a bit bad about that because they feel like a band that people should either really, really hate or absolutely love and go mad for. But I don't really feel either way about that. I mean, I kind of hate their singer. He's his cock. Um, but then the best rock stars are quite divisive, aren't they? They are. I mean, he's got people talking, and he's a, definitely a personality. I mean, you know what I think about him. I sort of spoke to you about how I sort of feel like he's this generation's Liam Gallagher, didn't I? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. That was a really interesting theory. Can you expunge on that whilst I eat more after eights? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd hate to take you away from your after eights, mate. Yeah. Um, Liam Gallagher sort of sums up the generation he's representing's worst traits. So Liam was stupid, pretty talentless, mouthy, was drunk most of the time. He's a prick. Um, He happened to have a much more talented older brother. He was every kind of lager guzzling, premiership watching, TFI Friday loving, bucket hatted lads, wet dream come to life really, wasn't he? (laughs) The idea that like, oh, if that guy can do it, so can I. And that that was the vibe of the time. Now, he's nowhere near as talented as he likes to make out. Um, and I think Matt Healy's kind of the same. He's not as talented as he likes to make out. He sort of has interviews and ties himself up in knots trying to justify the things that he believes. And he, you know, he genuinely believes that he, and without wanting to sound like too much of an old man, the kind of the young people that surround him um, seem to believe that they're sort of the first people that have ever act, acted this way ever. Do you know what I mean? It seems to be like, you know, we're changing, we're, we believe in, feminism and equality and we're the first generation it's like i don't think you are actually well, i hate to break this to you that no, no. i don't think you're the first generation to feel that way at all everyone knows the beatles invented feminism well mate it's funny you mention <laughs> the beatles because i saw it tw- i mean it's actually 
I saw. It, I hate to call out young Joe Nan of Nuclear Blast Records oh, there he is. regarding the Beatles. Hello, Joe. But um, he did a tweet once saying how proud he was that his generation ha- were the first generation to sort of disown the Beatles. And it was lots of sort of people in their early 20s patting themselves on the back to go like, yeah, yeah, we hate the Beatles. When in actual fact, every single generation of young people since about 1971 have told anyone that will listen how much they hate the Beatles and how they were underrated. And I mean, I remember seeing a really old punk at Reading in 1997 wearing a Beatles for Sale t-shirt and he'd crossed out John Lennon and written one down, three to go. Like, this is not a new thing. It's not new. It's not cutting edge. It's all been done. And you will get to 30 and you will listen to Sergeant Peppers and you'll go, oh, I was wrong. Like, you will. And I think the problem with Matty Healy is he's just... he absolutely represents that thing of do you know what i'm kind of the first person who's ever cared about you know equality before and it's not mate i mean you're a hack and you're kind of too unaware to even understand or know that you are a hack you're too stupid to know that you're not intelligent you're not clever and it's sort of for me this kind of pseudo intellectual bullshit that he comes up with is such a massive turnoff and i don't know why as a young man who's clearly you know listens to lots of music can clearly pen an excellent tune i don't know why he's just not happy with going i formed this band we're a really good pop band you're not the you know if, if you are the mouthpiece for a generation which maybe you are i think in the same way as you know if if Liam Gallagher was the mouthpiece for the generation of the 90s it's the generation of it's it's a it's a subgenre of a gen, of that generation of the worst kind of people and i think Matty Healy is the mouthpiece for this generation's worst kind of people um and that doesn't make his band bad but it makes them you know it makes them have to work a hell of a lot harder for any amount of praise mm. because this could have just been yeah you know this album's too long and most of it's listenable some of it's quite good and some of it you just don't need but unfortunately it is a it is a, a you know a, a bloated excessive listen that mm. um that you know it could have been a, a great it could have been a really good one album long album but this, like kind of most double albums made by bands and artists that have a creative vision that far outstrips their own ability, it's a rather frustrating, elongated mess. This is what happens when you can't catch up with your own ego. Yeah, absolutely. Still better yeah. than the Ent Shikari album, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly. I, I was just thinking there, it's interesting. I mean, would I have been so down on this if... I didn't hate Matty Healy so much. Um, maybe I wouldn't have. And I don't know if that makes me less professional. Maybe it does. But it's very difficult to distance yourself from those feelings, isn't it? You know? Um, yeah, kind of. I think it kind of is. But then I also think that that sort of thing goes away. And I yeah. have, although I read the interview and I was like, I think you're a, a prick. And, you know, for years and years and years, I, I didn't even pretend I just wouldn't listen to you two because I was like, they've lost it. They're shit now. And so I wouldn't listen to War or Boy or The Unforgettable Fire. But then when you put those albums on, you go, this is brilliant. And the problem is, is that, you know, this doesn't have the same level of 
art, of artistry that that a band like Radiohead have perfected. I don't think that's no. you know there, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. And until they do that, they're really in no position to kind of genuinely make those kind of statements with any degree of authority. No. Having said that, taken in isolation, I think there are a lot of good things about this record, and it and I probably will go back to it just like I went back to. Um, a brief understanding of online relationships. I still think that is something that I occasionally will want to listen to. So, you know, really it's not distracting and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't dislike him enough to go, well, I can't listen to his music. I mean, I don't know that there's anyone that I feel like that about, to be perfectly honest. No. If I think their music's good, I will listen to it. Mm. I, don't I don't know. You know. Yeah. I'm just positing that as a theory. I don't know. I me, mean, maybe I would have just been, at the end of the day, a band doing a double album, their fourth record, you know, that's quite brave, quite rare. There aren't many mm -hmm. bands who'll do that. Um, so I might have taken them down a peg or two for that. I don't know. Um, you would have done that to Nine Inch Nails, though, would you? No, but then Nine Inch Nails have established a discography which makes them makes me trust them more okay but they were only three albums in when they released the fragile yeah i know there's the smashing this Pumpkin. this is their fourth there's the smashing pumpkins uh example as well mm -hmm. um i guess both nine inch nails and smashing pumpkins just have a far more epic scope to what they do and even well, they with... both delivered better albums than this didn't they exactly well? even with pretty mm. hate machine and the downward spiral alone and um gish and siamese dream i mean just saying those four albums I mean, my least favourite of those four is Pretty Hate Machine, but it's still a fucking amazing record, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, and pisses all over this, you know. Mm. Um, I just had so much more trust in those artists. I don't, th I don't think 1975 have earned it yet. Um, I was wondering if this feels like a bit of a reload to a brief uh, inquiry of online relationships load, maybe. Or is, mm. am I, I think it's kind of too far? long for that. Well, it's kind of too long for that. I can sort of see what you're saying. I think it's kind of too long. For, I do definitely think that a brief inquiry into online relationships is a better record. But then actually, there's it's, nothing as good on that as um, there's nothing as good on that as um, if you're too shy. King nothing. No, there's nothing as good on that as King nothing. <laughs> uh, but there's nothing as good on here on that last record as there is uh, as that song, mm. um, which is, you know. I just think you've absolutely fucking nailed it. Do that. Yeah. Just do that. That's fine. You know, we spoke previously, again, the reason I brought up the Anthony Shikari album is because we spent a lot of time talking about bands and artists understanding their own boundaries. Now, you were very much like, I, I think bands should always try and do this. And But, you know, you when bands a very aim... regal voice for that. You know, you're quite a regal man. I think um... bands should always try to do this. <laughs> always! You know, <laughs> Sorry, but you on. did you said you know that you th you think very bands should all too. you did yeah um you you were under the you know the sort of the opinion of the opinion that bands trying something new is always and and you know and stretching out as much as they possibly can is, a good thing. is something yeah. that we should be giving the thumbs up to no matter true, what the results true, are true. at the very very least so i think you've got to give the 1975 yep props for their ambition I was of the opinion that, you know, I mean, I always say you got to jump to land. 
Um, and I said about that in the Shikari album is they jumped and they ended up with two broken ankles. I think the 1975 are also are in a hospital bed next to the Shikari <laughs> off the back of this record. They've both got like, you know, cracked pelvises and they've jumped and they've landed in a very odd way. They're not cats. <laughs> They're more like cattle that have been thrown out of a helicopter. Um, but what an analogy. But um, which album's but diff- worse? I think the Shikari album is worse. Wow. I think the Ennis Shikari album is definitely worth be- worse because I there's there's nothing which is as successful as the successful stuff on that album. I mean, the Ennis Shikari album is shorter, which is mercifully better. It's, I think it's half the length, half the length. But then I think it does half the stuff as well. I don't i think it does i mean the, the melodic parts on this are far more melodic than they think that shikari do i mean i think you know the end and streaming are, are kind of just they're quite similar both those records in that they have a load yeah. of orchestral stuff just bunged on in the middle of it or at the start of it where you just go why are you doing this that's, you mad that, fuckers. that's the cigarette stuff like it, it mm. gen- not only does it sound like cigarette those two songs sound like cig- uh tack era cigarettes which is their third record fourth if you yeah talk about it um and then there's another song that they do later i can't remember the title of it uh but that sounds like a cigarette strong song from valtari which is it's just like you can actually pin it down to specific cigarettes eras i mean i don't know mm. whether i get that right or not but um yeah. i only really have but one... i mean you know look you, we've spoken about huey lewis in the news and cigarettes and the national yeah it's and, or, and, obvi- and obviously radiohead i mean on, on the end shikari album i just thought it sounds like the third streets album but then a yeah, chorus, yeah. Then, but then an, an orchestra walked in halfway through <laughs> so you know like for me this is comfortable no not comfortably better but this is I, I i think when i come to cherry pick I will never go back to that Shikari record. Whereas I think there's enough stuff on this that I definitely will go back to. It's got the best song of the year on it. Hidden in amongst its mad 80 and a half minute running time is the best song of the, uh, is it? No, because sorry. The best song that Code Orange haven't written of of the year. (laughs) I mean, if I was to pick the top 10 out 10 songs of the year, 11 of them would be Code Orange and this would be number 12. Um, But that wouldn't be a top 10, would it? There's 14 uh, songs on that Code Orange album. What are you missing? Yeah, up? there aren't. No. I'm not. Probably okay. the intro, the intro bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was just saying. To, you know, I don't know. I'm just picking random numbers out of the air. And yeah. I, if I was to make as, the top, as usual, oh, I was what being a anal. <laughs> Yeah. So all right, I'm going to do the top. The top 15 songs so far of the year is everything on the Code Orange album, and if you're too shy by the 1975 yeah. um, do, do tune in in december to be absolutely shell-shocked at what steve's number one album of the year in <laughs> well come on i mean it's yours as well you're not getting away from it. um I mean, it uh, uh, yes it is but uh there has been an album or two that is uh, contesting it neither and of, will ultimately lose uh, neither anyway of, neither of which we've covered yet but yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh okay cool i don't think well, look, you've heard either of them either so yeah but they're not as good as code orange so it's <laughs> whatever they are uh, <laughs> right. uh, i mean you said don't ruin what your album of the year is and i've just deliberately done that because yeah. you picked me up on the amount of <laughs> tracks that are on the record uh <laughs> no look um, hey, i have i have it, one more, it's I only have, may guys i have Could one more thing to say about this uh album um the enemy review um 
this is a quote from the enemy review which i kind of think perfectly sums up the record but also the reaction to the quotes will probably sum up whether you will like this album or whether you will dislike it they said uh, there are even orchestral interludes such as the end music for cars giving the album the feel of a soundtrack for a disney movie about a rock star who can't make his mind up what his band sounds like who fucking wrote this oh enemy who person. wrote this the bloody they let the, the fucking work experience kid do this review <laughs> i'm sure for a release as big as the 1975 they let the work experience kid do it <laughs> um yeah it's shoddily written but my point is i think if the idea i'm gonna see who wrote that sorry i have to see who wrote that because that <laughs> I... is absolutely <laughs> i think the point is the if the idea of a soundtrack for a disney movie about a rock star who can't make his mind up what his band sounds like sounds appealing to you maybe check out the 1975 record <laughs> but it sounds fucking awful to me oh. and that is what it sounds like in the main in the main, I think it's actually pretty accurate. Mm. But they were saying it as a good thing. I yeah. think it's a bad thing. Bad thing. I'm just looking at the stuff he's written. He's written lots of stuff about The Simpsons and Tiger King, the guy who wrote this. He doesn't really tend to write about music so much, <laughs> but he did do an interview with Lewis Capaldi. Good. Um, good credentials. Yeah, good top credentials. credentials. Tiger King, Lewis Capaldi. And comparing to stuff to Disney. I mean, that is not, yeah, that isn't going to turn me on to want to listen to that record. Fucking hell. I was like, if you like the thought of a beloved childhood pet in a snuff movie, then maybe you'll like the, No, I definitely don't. I definitely don't. But listen, Put we are not. We are not the enemy. And although thank Renfrey, fuck I, we're not the enemy. Thank fuck we're not the enemy. But um, I, I think this is like, I mean, I've already said it. I think. It's hard when you have deliberately gone out of your way to set yourself a bar that you are just not capable of reaching yet. Mm. Yet. And I hope with time, because they're young, you know, and they've only been around for sort of 10 years or whatever, but the 1975 are a young band. And I would like to think that something happens to them in the future, whether it be, you know, them just really working on their craft and fucking forgetting all this other extraneous like shit that they seem to be so bloody obsessed with or if they were to really find themselves and just go we could write a record a really great pop record just a great pop record then i think they could be a good band not the voice of a generation probably not the best band in the world but a good band and I, 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 you know, I hope they manage to do that at some point. I hope something clicks in them that makes them actually be able to make the artistic statement. I still don't, you know, from everything I've heard of them, they still haven't made a record which lives up to the amount of hype they get. And that's always a very difficult thing for bands to try and traverse. That doesn't mean they're a bad band or that they're shit or that, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean that. It just means that people are more excited about them than perhaps they need to be. Um, but they're still quite good. I quite like them. As a band, I quite like them. This album has made me go, I quite actually like the 1975, which I was sort of unsure about before. But there's enough on it to make me go, you know, I, I don't love them. I'm not going to go and see them live or anything, but I quite like, I think they're quite a good band. 
I think in order to be the band that you are hoping or asking them to become, they would need to learn a sense of humility, which I'm not sure they are capable of. But I'd love to be proved wrong. Mm. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, That is Notes in a Conditional Form by the 1975. If you've come here just for that, uh, you can go now. See you later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) because we're going to move on. Uh, The next record we're going to talk about is Self Surgery by Mrs. Piss. Who are Mrs. Piss, Renfrey? Well, they are uh, a two-piece, Chelsea Wolfe and drummer Jess Gowrie. This is their debut record. And I'll tell you what, the 1975 could certainly learn something from them. This is a very short 19-minute eight-song record, um, which still manages to have quite a lot of stuff going on in it, even though it's only 19 minutes long. Um, uh, We spoke a lot about, uh, we've spoken a lot about Chelsea Wolfe in general. Um, We, I think both of us were not, I was going to say nonplussed. I don't think that's fair. Not nonplussed, but we weren't ecstatic about Chelsea Wolfe's last solo record, especially within the contents, contents, context of her entire discography. You have just reminded me, this has given me an opportunity to um, uh, cover that again, because uh, that is probably the record that has grown on me the most from last year, I would say. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I think I think it was because it scored, it's, I, can't, I think it was number eight in Metal Hammer's top 50 of the year. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. That disappointing Chelsea Wolfe record? And I went back to it and something about going back to it around Christmas time. It just worked suddenly for me. Yeah. Um, so it's I very actually... much like the sort of, um, you know, the Shaking Stevens vibes it had, wasn't it? It works around Christmas so well. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do really love that record now. I mean, when we reviewed it, it probably would have been my least favourite Chelsea Wolfe record and it might be like my third favourite now. I think it's brilliant. Really? Uh, yeah, I really like it. It's really good. Um, but yes, that was our initial impression on that record. Faux show. Mm. Uh, I've not been back to it um, because, like I said at the time, uh, there are at least three other Chelsea Wolf records that I definitely would be more keen on listening to. And in the, the sort of interim period, I have found myself just going back to them. And they are great. And Chelsea Wolf. And those are? Is Abyss, great. I'm assuming. His, Abyss, his Spun's between. I think Abyss His Spun has so been the one that I go back to the most. Yeah. At this point. I'm not necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best, but I do think it's the one that I listen to the most. I think mm. it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. His um, Spun and Pain is Beauty for me. Those records are just fucking incredible. Mm, yeah, very good. Um, but I always think Abyss is probably my favourite one. But anyway, we're not really talking about yeah, that. Yeah, hard it. to listen to. But it's great. So, yeah, it is, isn't it? And this has got a sort of that part of Chelsea Wolfe's discography in it, that kind of ambient, ethereal darkness. Mm-hmm. But it's got a lot more punk rock, well, post-punk mm. pace and grit and a kind of industrialised feel to the record. Um, They're more I think this is very, urgent yeah. than anything Chelsea Wolf. I'm not really familiar with Jess Gary's work, I'm afraid. But no, I'm not either. They're more urgent than than the way Chelsea Wolf usually operates, I think is fair to say. Yeah, there's there's only one... There's only one song, I think, that actually ticks over the four-minute mark. In fact, there's only one song that ticks over 
the three minute mark in fact and that is yeah. knelt which is the third song which is just over four minutes long um which it, so it's quite a kind of brutal sounding record but it's never even though those songs are short they're never constantly super extreme super fast they're not scared to show to slow things right down and i like the fact that they will do a slow doomy bit in in a, a very very tight compact punk song in a kind of mm. tight space mm-hmm. they still manage to make it feel longer and we often talk about you know listening to a song and you like listen to tool and they do a 14 minute song and you go oh it only feels like three minutes and that's really amazing mm. and sometimes you go god that song is four minutes long it feels like it goes on for about an hour mm. but there is also those songs that are only kind of two minutes long and you go how did you get that like anything from stage four by touche and more it's you know some of those songs are two and a half three minutes long and it yeah. feels like so much is in there and and there's definitely um that feeling with this record as well i think i know what you mean it's a very dense 20 minutes um it's um i don't want to give the wrong impression by saying it feels longer but there's than 20 minutes but there's so much going on on it in a way it does doesn't it not not strictly in a bad way um, no i think it i think it actually feels like it it lasts about 20 minutes but then when it ends you go I can't believe they got all that into 20 mm, minutes. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a very like it's a very interesting project to try and describe. I mean, it's kind of Chelsea Wolf by way of ministry. Is that fair? Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, Chelsea Wolf actually Did Chelsea Wolf open for ministry? She no, did. sorry, it was Was it Chelsea Wolf open for ministry? I, I think thought so. it was I thought it was No, it wasn't Merca, was it? Either Merca or Chelsea Wolfe. No, you're right. It was Chelsea Wolfe. I think Wolf. Chelsea Wolfe did open for ministry. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. She I did. mean, yeah. it, it would not be surprising at all um, if we if we learnt that this album was written around that time. That would make total sense in terms of when it's coming out, when they toured together, yada, yada, yada. Merca so. opened for Perfect... No, Chelsea Wolfe opened for Perfect Circle pumpkins. as well. Smashing Pumpkins, that was it. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yes, Chelsea Wolfe did open for ministry a few years ago and yeah although you would go well that doesn't really sound like a a normal thing it actually you listen to this and you go ah i can see how those two things would tie into each other totally yeah um, it works really well as well yeah it, you know it is quite a brutal record but it's not super extreme because you do have that kind of slow i mean you know i I mentioned knelt which is the only one to just over four minutes long and that's kind of the most epic sounding consistently epic sounding song if you like the more cinematic sounding song throughout Mm. very deep slow funeral procession like and chelsea wolf's wail sort of dominates i'd say most of the songs in there but particularly that song and i think it really stands out as the one song that is different to the rest of the record yes um, it feels like the most sure. complete song as well not that not that any of these songs don't feel complete but i guess just because you're in its world for four minutes uh yeah. yeah it was they released that alongside um downer surrounded by uppers didn't they yeah which is quite kind of polar opposite agro punk rock guitar kind of thing um makes it immediately clear that we're in for something quite different 
uh, mm-hmm. to what we're used to from Chelsea Wolf. But then Nelt is far more in her usual wheelhouse without necessarily sounding exactly like a Chelsea Wolf song, I would say. Mm. I think it's cool, this. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. It's my I favorite. really like it. I mean, spoiler alert, it's my favorite album of the, of the week. Um, mm, yeah, in a not do. great week. <laughs> um, so it's kind of my favorite record of the week by default. Um, but I think there's some really cool stuff on this. There's a song called Mrs. Piss, uh, which A, is better than the 1975. Uh, I think it's also better <laughs> than Iron Maiden as well. Um, it sounds like PJ Harvey singing from the very pits of hell. Um, and then it's got this amazing grungy slow melodic outro early nine which, oh yes no no yes that bit's amazing yeah yeah, yeah which yeah, comes yeah. in from nowhere i mean that's brilliant it just rages yeah. and rages and rages and then it sort of fizzles the, the song out and again you know that song yeah. is i'm just looking now it's, it's like two minutes two. and 33 seconds yeah 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 and it feels like it's about seven minutes i think seven minutes worth of stuff yeah in yeah. and and a lot of artists would stretch that right out yeah and uh and they don't um there I think, are some you know, really the... disturbing moments as well i mean the intro track i mean you mm. say it's eight tracks it's it's really it's kind of seven songs really yeah seven uh, songs for the sure. intro track is called to crawl inside it's 44 seconds and it's really very very disturbing indeed almost almost lingua ignota levels of disturbing as both vocalists start sort of intoning and whispering i'm bathing in the filth of the world uh it's um it reminds uh, me of uh it reminds me of the opening track on which i can't remember what it's called off the top of my head but it reminds me of the opening track on um was five on five on iowa right yeah 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 yeah. which is like about a minute of sid wilson just screaming yeah just screaming over this sort of ambient industrial landscape of noise, noise. Yeah. uh and it's a it's a bit like that it's not quite as you know obviously extreme as that but it is it is a fairly similar um, i thing. weirdly think it's more disturbing even than that and that is quite disturbing that 505 track yeah but, um, it's a different type of disturbing yeah it gets under i don't know it yes but it gets it personally it gets under my skin more than it's 515, not 505. 515 does. That's what I said, isn't it? Probably is, I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Um, yeah, it, this is this is a short, sharp, a great kind of counterpoint. To, I think particularly having released the record that she released, that kind of mostly acoustic, quite slow, very melodic sounding last record, I think bringing this out so soon afterwards is a is a nice little counterpoint to it 100 percent, yeah and it's a really nice uh, like it was only announced like a week before the album yeah. dro- dropped or uh, well maybe two weeks beforehand but like yeah we didn't even know about it until a week or two ago and i think that's kind of cool that it's it's not quite a surprise release but it's not far off mm. a surprise release um yeah. i mean actually i don't know if this is vaguely interesting or not but even just getting a hold of the promo um we kind of had to go to them rather than them coming to us because i think they made the decision to do what is probably referred to as like a soft pr release in that um if people were interested in either musician's work they would come to the prs rather than the prs dishing it out to loads Mm. and loads of people a lot of whom probably wouldn't have understood the context for it and where it came from and yada yada yada. which for a record like this may well be have the, the the best thing to do um 
I have to admit, I don't know if I would be that interested in this record if it didn't have the Chelsea Wolf Association. So I don't know if, I don't mm. know, I can't make my mind up yet. Uh, I don't know if that is applicable or not, really. I think if I, I think if I heard it mm. and I didn't know anything about it, I'd probably go, well, this would be worth covering. Yes, same. I definitely would have covered it. I wonder if I would have felt the same way I did about the horror record with it in that I thought it sounded really cool, but there weren't really any songs on it. But I don't know. That's just, that sounds like that season. Uh, I, I definitely don't feel that personally. Yeah. No, I, think, I think I don't think there's anything like we mentioned the, the closing of yeah. the entire record, that, that grungy kind of guitar part on the um, the Mrs. Piss song. And I think... I don't think horror have uh, kind of established themselves as good enough songwriters to have thought of something like that. Absolutely. Fair play. Mm. Mm. So there you go. It's called self-surgery. The band are called Mrs. Piss. Nice. Mrs. Piss. (laughs) And the album is out now. Right. uh, Let's do our last record before we get on the broken records. It comes from Antethic. The album is called Mythographer. Uh, it's the third album from the Russian trio, but it's the first album to be released on the Holy Raw label, which we like a lot. It's actually the first album there to be released internationally. Um, now, is I've not a, heard of is this. Is it mythofra- uh, Mythographer? Yeah, I guess. It, yeah, I guess so. Cool. What is that? Mythographer? I think you said mythographer. Mythographer. Yeah, what? Okay, fine. <laughs> um, uh, I've not heard this band before, but with it being on Holy Raw, I definitely thought, as most of their things are worth checking out, we should check it out. Um, yeah, you if brought you're this going, in, didn't you? Yeah, if, I was wondering if what you go- knew about it, because I know well, nothing about this band. No, I knew nothing about this band, but um, I saw it was on Holy Raw, and I was like, that's a sign of quality, always. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, I was quite, you know, you probably yourself are sitting here listening and thinking, ah, a new Holy Raw band. Excellent. Another shouty, crushing, sort of doomy, hardcore band or a sort of blackened something. Do you know what I mean? Some sort of extreme metal, screamy, grindy, heavy, crushing thing. Um, Nope. no, No, I did not expect to sound like this. And I think you'll be pretty surprised and i think it's good that uh that holy raw are branching out into as many realms of exciting interesting music as they can and i think that's what makes them a very very good label um they've showed signs of it in the past um but i think they've never be able to, been able to fully grasp onto that sort of let's face it post-rock post-metal post-electronica whatever we're going to call this um mm-hmm. thing but i know i mean they had brontide on their label for a while who are amazing post-rock band uh they had i know i don't know if i should reveal this actually but i know that they tried very hard to get caspian uh for a long time because they fucking love that band uh yep. they've got bosk on there uh i think even aa williams who they had on their label for a short while um has post-rock sort of tendencies so they do they do go into this thing, but it's not what they're known for primarily. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Definitely not. So, um, so yeah, to trying to explain kind of what this is, I mean, I guess they, they have been described as a post-rock band, Antethic. Um, although they're not. Re- I mean, I can kind of see... <laughs> Depends on your like, definition of post-rock. I guess it does, yeah. I mean, if post, I think if post got... rock, if post rock means instrumental music, this is post rock. 
but if yeah, post rock means it. what it actually means, this is not post rock. I've said this, no, I've I, said this before, but yeah, yeah. this isn't really post rock. I, I no, I, like it never struck me. Once I sort of read it, once I listened to it, and I was like, oh, I kind of, you know, I got Fortet, um, yep. Floating Points, Telephone Tel Aviv, yep. Yep. that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And then at points, even for sort of like Vangelis, fans of maybe Synthwave, if you imagine a, I mean, I've actually written down here um broken beat ambient electronic music um the first track glow could be something from like blade runner stroke perturbator on downers it absolutely could be um that's that's a good way to put it i said something along the lines of um big 80s science fiction synth vibes coming in i mean we've had a lot of that recently but again here mm. it is it still sounds really good though i have to admit sort of a slower more brooding three trap tigers was the way i put it yeah i think you know again that this sits sort of fairly oddly between two stools i think because when you think of the the sci-fi you know the synth wave john carpenter 80s blade runner sci-fi soundtrack stuff it's usually quite instant and quite you know something like particularly something like carpenter brute which is a million miles away from carpenter brute really um that's interesting because i was going to ask you if you thought um antethic fit in with that whole 80s throwback since the synth wave scene uh, aka perturbator carpenter brute does this fit in with that at all or no? i think it I think it does. I think okay. it does fit in with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem with it is, is it's far more kind of subtle and esoteric. And yes. I think that's where the kind of post-rock comparisons probably come in. Because yes. if you could imagine, uh, you know, someone like Ghost doing, Ghost, the the synthwave band, not, you know, Papa and, and Variety. Yeah. Um, G-O-S-T. Yeah, doing a i guess a kind of ambient record then yeah this is not 80s banging you know this is not 80s banging beats lambic you know kind of lamborghini driving down you know sort of eight bit fucking whatever do you know what i mean day glow no it's more dystopian it's not that yeah it's more it's dystopian, more dystopian oh, and, i and think goss doing an, a, a, a ghost doing goss ghost doing a acoustic acoustic <laughs> more ambient record um wouldn't sound a million miles away from this and that's kind of cool i think um i definitely i do like the sound of it even though i was saying this last week with with the mogwai 000 soundtrack even though there is a lot of this at the moment this whole instrumental music which is clearly inspired or seems inspired by dystopian 80s sci-fi i've got to admit that all of the bands do appear to be approaching it from a slightly different route mm. i don't think this sounds like tides from nebula or maserati no. or 65 days definitely static not. no or um, definitely not something like aiming for enrique at all no no i don't think it, i don't think it i don't think any of those bands last records sound like each other either i mean this is why to me saying post-rock is such a ridiculous term because it encompasses so many different things um i broadly really like this even though i think it is quite oppressive <laughs> at times it's not easy to listen to i don't think no um i have a couple of issues with it i think bearing in mind that i am mr esoteric uh it does get very esoteric and wibbly in the middle it has a very Mm. saggy middle um i think middle being from where 
because I think to move a mountain is the the best song. Is that is it was spot on the middle, and that's my favorite on it. Uh oh. Um, do you hate that idea? I don't hate it. No. Um, and even when it is esoteric, this record, I don't. I don't hate it. I just think it goes into that esoteric realm a little bit too much. Uh, it's probably towards the end of Frontier, which is actually track two. Although these are quite long songs, we should say they're all six, mm-hmm. seven minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, like how am H A O M A track three? Yeah, doesn't really work for me at all. It is far, far, far too esoteric. To move a mountain is definitely an improvement. The track that you really like it begins with a very cool doomy riff that sort of reminds you that this band do have metal roots because you've been throwing a lot of electronic pop yeah, stuff at yeah, that yeah. point. Um, I think around about three minutes in, it descends into this very esoteric electronic stuff, which I can't fully get on board with, if I'm honest. I don't hate it, but I am wavering at that point. But then I think it gets really good towards the end again. So um, it's it's very hit and miss for me, this record, if I'm totally, totally honest. But I think they have a very unique individual voice which, as we've discussed, is harder to do with instrumental music. So massive applause for that. Um, and I also think that the good bits are really fucking good. I mean, yeah, there's some great stuff on here. I think there, there, there really is actually. Do you know what? It's not, in a way, I suppose. I mean, you like this record more than I do by the sounds of it. Um, I, I guess. So. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I don't, this isn't like. Oh my god, I love it. Like, I, I think particularly something like Maserati is still better because it's very difficult to. It's very difficult to grab hold of anything. Sort of. You. I think this. This is quite hard work. I think you're right when you talk about being esoteric. I think it's quite hard work. I think it's obviously you know esoteric is a great word for it, but I think if you, with a bit of patience. It's actually those parts are really quite beguiling. And I think once you listen to it, I mean, I've had this record now for about a month. And the first time I listened to it, I was like, I don't really know. The second time I was like, oh, this is better. After about sort of five or six listens to it, I really became, you know, much more taken by, because it's quite a shock of how like ambient and difficult some parts of it is. I mean, it is it's not you know like i say that's why i'm a little bit loath to mention stuff like carpenter brute and perturbator mm. and even vangelis um and anything really to do with kind of guitar based post-rock because even the most kind of ambient and odd instrumental post-rock maybe not the most but some of the instrumental ambient post-rock that we've done is still way more instantaneous and way more easy to actually grasp onto something than the majority of this than the majority of this record Oliver arnold's i think is far more instantaneous than this Mm. i'd argue Mm. a winged victory for the sullen are probably more instantaneous than this yeah i agree um i think i think this is a a a very interesting record as as you say the esotericism of it if that's a word um is married with a kind of oppression which i think makes it very difficult to fully get into this record however you did just say something which I think is probably quite worth mentioning. You said it took you five or six listens to get into this record due to technical issues, which I cannot be fucked to go through, frankly. I've had a very tricky week. Um, I've probably heard this record three or four times. So maybe, and it's certainly getting better with every listen, Um, but it's interesting to hear that it's a bit of a grower 
uh and and you need to kind of it's interesting what you're saying about sort of letting that esotericism wash over you because i feel like on my last listen that was mainly maybe beginning to happen that hasn't quite happened yet so maybe i just need a bit more time with it but i don't know i <clears throat> i felt like the amount of good stuff on it as good as good as it was I, i'm not sure if there was quite enough for me to go right i'm gonna go back to that record over and over and over and over again yeah i can kind of understand that i mean i think if there's one thing that i've learned from uh listening to a lot more of these records than i ever have done before previously is that it's okay to not have something to grab onto sure that's fair <laughs> do you know what that's, I mean? that's like, a perfectly uh, fair thing to say yeah yeah and i and i think um this is one of those records where i still don't really have anything to grab onto um but i kind of like the journey it creates a an atmosphere and a vibe doesn't it um, yeah for sure it's not a vibe that i constantly want to welcome into my home to no. be totally honest because as no. i say it is quite oppressive um it has i don't think it's as good as it and it doesn't sound like you do either with the way you're talking about it but it actually has uh similarities with the um you fucking 65 days of stay no no that's not a bad shout though um wraith teeth of the sea the teeth of the sea oh records. right yeah 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 uh, yeah that's it's not that as good. big old horn no, no, no. And also it's got loads of horns on it, which you can just go like, wow, the mad horns. Um, the mad that's got horns. Yeah, it's got like a bit more kind of Dillinger to it where you just go yeah. like, oh, I love the, love the kind of craziness of it. Where this isn't really crazy. It's more subdued. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's way it's, more subdued. It's more subdued, it, but it's just more in the oppressiveness of it, mm. uh, mm -hmm. I think. I think they both create an oppressive atmosphere, maybe in slightly different ways. But it it does remind me of that record. I just I just think the Teeth of the Sea record is a much better record, and I go back to it. Whereas I'm not a hundred percent sure if I will with this. Yes, I I mean, for the record, th this is not as good as the Teeth of the Sea record. I don't think not as good, but but they're very. I still think they're very different. But anyway, you know, look, mm -hmm. if you like that sort of thing, and I know some of you do, check it out. It's by Antethic. It's called Mythographer. It is out right now. Now. Uh, we have to end the show <laughs> uh, with broken records um, which actually, is where we search I, I just wanted to take a quick pause because I just want to do a couple of lines before we um, get into this because I just think it'd be appropriate for the subject matter oh, that we're talking about definitely god yeah. we're so rock and roll uh, we don't have to prove it in any way yeah. but we are um, Towers of London Blood Sweat and Towers is this week's entry into our search for the worst album ever made so far um we have bob dylan self-portrait lou reed's metal machine music lauren hills mtv 2.0 unplugged enemies streets in the sky one by dirty vegas viva brothers famous first words louis the 14th slick dogs and ponies queen and paul rogers the cosmos rocks richard ashcroft's united nations of sound eogan quigg's self-titled debut album and um six feet under graveyard classics volume two as our top what is that, 11? Um, in in that descending order. So something surely at some point is going to be worse, <laughs> worse than six feet under. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the Towers of London. Let's find out. This record was released on the 5th of June, 2006. 2006 seems like it was quite a bad year because we've had quite a few of, um, a few records from around 2006. Um, Actually, yeah. It seems like a sort of, 
some sort of rip in the vortex, like Hellraiser or something. Loads of shit bands escaped from hell. Um, but anyway, Towers of London, Blood, Sweat and Towers is the debut album from the really genuine, absolutely real, <laughs> truly legitimate, clearly sincere and doubtlessly authentic punk rock band. They are a punk rock band. No one can take that away from them. The Towers of London, best known for the wild man that is Donny Tourette. He of smoking on Nevermind the Buzzcocks <laughs> and climbing on a roof during his short stint on Celebrity Big Brother fame. God, what a rebel. Bloody hell. Gigi Allen wouldn't do that. He's too scared to do the sort of things that Donny Tourette did. He'd be shitting himself if he met Donny. Um, so it tells a lot. Donny Tourette doesn't even know who Gigi Allen is, for fuck's sake. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently uh, Towers of London formed in 2003, which I found quite surprising because this album didn't come out until 2006. And I thought they probably formed in 2006 or were put together by a record company. But apparently they did form in 2003. I read they formed 2004. So. Okay. Um, maybe it's either way it's a lot earlier than i thought i only point it out well it's still less than fucking candle box isn't it um i only point it out because um i think it says a lot that permission to land by the darkness came out 2003 became the unexpected mega hit of the year yeah um and towers of london form not long after that now, yeah. whilst Towers of London are clearly very different to The Darkness, I think they just went, oh, that's really successful and that's doing really well. Let's do a snottier, punkier version of that. Yeah, basically. I mean, so they, they had a couple of years. Fuck. Yeah, they signed to TVT Records, a label who are famous for the likes of Jar Rule, Seven Dust, Gravity Kills, Nothing Face and Pitbull. Now, what do those acts and Towers of London have in common, Renfrey? apart from the fact they're on the same label. What are those bands? It's quite a sort of disparate group of bands. What do they all have in common? What's the one thing that sort of links those artists together, do you think? Should it be leaping out at me? Because it's not. Uh, well, they're all bandwagon hopping oh. chance of fuckwits, aren't they? They're all <laughs> late to the party. Oh, look, that's the thing that everyone's doing now. We'll do that then, shall we? That seems to be selling lots of records. Oh, we'll do that. We mean it, man. Um, for, ba for balance, not that I want to defend them too much because I don't really have much stock in TVT, but didn't they they um, put out Pretty Hate Machine as well, didn't they, TVT? Yeah, Trent Reznor fucking but hates Trent them, Reznor fucking he? hates. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, saw, yeah. actually, we should probably I, I mean, mention it here. I saw The Defiant Ones quite recently, which was a documentary mm. you recently said was the best documentary of all time. And there's a little bit about that on The Defiant Ones. So. Yes, there is. Um, now, look, I'm not slagging off TVT records, but it does feel like mm. they do have a history of going for a lot of bands who have just gone, oh, let's do that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, everybody yeah. likes. Yeah. Um, so... They sort of appear from nowhere, as you mentioned, Towers of London. Um, all kind of gobby and wankery behaviour, sort of sort of fighting backstage at Download in 2005. We've actually seen them banned from Download ever since. Yes. Well, and that's before the album was even released. Um, yeah. Of course, we should say as well that once the record was released, they actually had a reality TV show for the channel Bravo. The channel Bravo, famous for airing the likes of ECW Wrestling, Dog the Bounty Hunter, um, Brit Cops, Highway Patrol, and Crash Bang Wallet, what a video with Alan Partridge, uh, except the last one. Um, <laughs> Didn't take them long to do that, did it? 
No, no, not at all. Now, I actually, for no other real reason than kind of maddening curiosity a few years ago, I went onto YouTube and I watched a few of those shows. Did you? And yeah, and I was thinking, because I was like, oh, I might watch those shows back. And then I remembered how fucking terrible they were and i thought no i'm not going to put myself through that again i'll just listen to the record <laughs> it's just a bunch of twats shouting about how they should be treated like guns and roses it's fucking rubbish it sounds like probably one of the shows that would irritate me the most in the world mm. <laughs> especially I mean, especially especially because i'm so fond of guns and roses and yet couldn't give a crap about any other one in that scene, any other bands in that scene whatsoever, really. But yeah, um, what a joke. <laughs> it's just a like, joke. It just... The best the, song the, on Blood, Sweat behavior. and Towers is worse than the worst Guns N' Roses song. And I'm including Chinese <laughs> democracy era. So. Yeah, for real. Um, I mean, if, if I'm not suggesting anyone goes to watch the show, but if you do have to, any clip you pick on will be Donnie Tourette in a dressing room going oh fucking hell where's my fucking where's the booze they said oh what i got that one i got and it's just a, it's like you don't even have an album out yet mate mm. you don't even have an album out and you're talking like you should be like ferried around planet earth mm. i'm being put on the biggest it's absolutely it was just they're the most obnoxious pricks like when they go oh we were behaving like proper rock and rollers that those bands that were smashing stuff were being, you know, you get, you either get massive like Guns N' Roses did or The Who or whatever, and then you act like wankers and you start smashing stuff up because you can afford it. Or, and I'm not condoning that, or you don't do that at all and you just act obnoxious because you're just deeply obnoxious people a la Sid Vicious and you don't really care about money or what stuff you've got. You're just a sort of broken, desperate, scagged knobhead who just likes burning shit and being a, a but the pretense that like we we hello we are the towers of london this unheard of band we deserve to be <laughs> ferried around wembley stadium and thrown into a swimming full of swimming pool full of cocaine fucking tosses um to be fair i acted like that at the launch release for my ep yeah, I'm sure you did, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the thing is, for whatever insane reason, their label were chucking a fuckload of money at this band. They supported the Pogues in New York. They supported the New York Dolls on their comeback show. They supported Guns N' Roses on their oh. UK tour. And they played the main stage at Reading and Leeds Festival. Mm. It's absolutely mental that yeah. <laughs> anyone would spend 10p on these wankers. <laughs> um yeah it's but anyway it's a stunning case of style over substance isn't it i mean i i dare not even say style because they had no style at all you mentioned sid vicious there and it just occurred to me that this is a band of sid viciouses isn't it um yeah. sid vicious was by far and away the least talented member of the sex pistols could barely play bass was really just a bit of an obnoxious twat um and uh this is just a band of obnoxious twats um mm. uh you've talked about how they're the real deal and all that sort of thing and very genuine if anyone has any doubts as to whether towers of london are in fact the real deal or not uh brothers danny and dirk tourette are actually called patrick and francis brennan <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> um i fucking hate them 
Well, listen, listen, hate. hold on, hold, hold your horses there, Renfrey, because we've got to get through other people's reviews. This is oh, know, before we come to sorry, our opinion yeah. of it. So what anyway, the album comes Carl out. Think of it. I don't know uh, that. I do not know. He probably thinks it's great. <laughs> um, anyway, it's the, the album... best record since Nevermind the Bollocks. <laughs> yeah, which he hated. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the album comes out, and surprise, surprise, it gets fucking panned. One point five in Pitchfork who say, blame Andrew WK for already perfecting Partying Hard or the darkness setting the metal revival bar a tad high, but Tower's arena assault on mainstream pop and the sweaty-clad indie falls flat on its face, seeming way more contrived than the target it aims to dominate, to abominate. Lead singer Donny Tourette, for example, is actually very unlike someone truly afflicted by Tourette's. We always knew exactly what he's about to say. Even the examatory yes and oohs feel laboured over intricate laboured over intricately placed between masturbatory solos and dim power chords in fact the only mystery here at any given time is whether he'll shout fuck you bitch or opt for the elegance of the traditional fuck you uh it got two stars in the guardian uh, who said like johnny rotten ambling down the sunset strip this album is a snarling spitting unequivocally british take on hair metal with rare moments of genius hidden away in a landfill of mediocre rock that's nowhere near as scary as it thinks it is that seems very very generous to me Rare um, moments of genius uh, pff, fuck off I, I can't find him um punknews.org gave it one and a half out of five stating somewhere along the line the band lost sight of what made them so enjoyable in the first place or maybe not maybe their style is just not that it can be drawn is just not such that it can be drawn out for such an extended amount of time well one thing's for sure on blood sweat and towers the band unfortunately overstays their welcome uh sputnik music gave it two out of five and said if mainstream rock was a buffet blood sweat and tears are the unwanted leftovers there is actually an about music.com review that gives it five stars uh, that's on the band's wikipedia page but it appears to have vanished weird now isn't it that, that, that review has been buried um somewhere so um the band did another album called fizzy pop in 2008 um not much more in the way of acclaim and they became more known as a sort of circus sideshow for donny tourette than actual musicians and inevitably they split in 2009 i don't know if i can reveal this or not but they tried coming back last year well i was gonna say um I say split. I mean, they just weren't, they actually weren't, they didn't really split. They just didn't do anything, do anything for years yeah. and years and years. They just sort of canceled their gigs and then that was it. Um, and they did come back last year and they released a new single. And I remember seeing that getting released and I thought, Hmm, surely nobody on earth is going to care about that in any way. What's whatsoever. Mm. And sure enough, no one did until well, I, we drag, until we dragged the bastards up again. I received you know, sometimes you get emails from PRs and it's obvious that they've actually, actually tailored the email to you. <laughs> and yeah. um, I remember getting an email from their PR um, who had really gone to a lot of effort to address this email to me, thinking that I would be interested in covering them. And <laughs> I was just like, what are you on, on talking air? about? On this podcast? uh well if it was last year then i guess it was yeah i think they wanted us to interview donny tourette um, sure i would i would well, sure happily done have that, done that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why are you a cunt 
Um, yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, they said, I know you might be raising your eyebrow at Towers of London, you know, most famous for the Nevermind the Buzzcocks appearance. Yada, yada, might. Yada. might, yeah, exactly. Um, but their new song is a totally different direction. It's totally changed. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, you know, does it sound like the 1975? It probably uh, does, doesn't more it? More so than Towers of London, than that new single did. But it was fucking bollocks, you know. And I was just like, I gave a short, short curt no. Um, mm. But um, yeah, I mean, do you want to get into the record itself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Sub-bar what are we saying? Appetite for it's the em- bollocks. Um, yeah. Embarrassing, isn't it? It is embarrassing. Um, you can hear the. Uh, never mind the bollocks and appetite for destruction influence it is very much worn on their sleeve i think there are parts which are very guns and roses um but just but it does sound like your local band in a pub playing it it's it has none of the i think music like that particularly has to have a special pizzazz an x factor a chemistry whatever whatever it is that you want to call it i mean even the darkness have it to an extent they certainly had it on permission to land you know that's not even an album that i love but i will acknowledge that um i think aerosmith have it you know in in order to acdc in order to make that music work you have to have a special ingredient which is difficult to define towers of london don't have a single milliliter of whatever that ingredient is this is just pathetically poor pub rock just, badly. As, just to bring that about, I mean, even, you know, you're talking about Aerosmith and, and The Darkness and really, I mean, a year after this album comes out, Running Wild by Airborne comes out, which doesn't have a second of, you know, unique or original ideas in its collective head, but is a fucking brilliant record. It's produced brilliantly. It's by a band who have been playing the kind of Australian pub circuit, the notoriously grueling Australian pub circuit for many, many, many years and is born out of a genuine love of that type of music. Airborne are not going to change. You know, they're still, you know, we haven't really covered them because, you know, I I think that what they've done, they're not going to change and they're not particularly interesting to me now i have to be honest but those first couple of records they're they're fucking great at doing that Mm. fucking great and there's nothing unique or original or anything about it but they have turned they it's born from passion it's undoubtedly born from passion it is not born from passion yeah really (laughs) and um (laughs) go on son uh but it's not do you know what i mean it's not this is how can I be a rock star? How can I yes. be famous? Like, yes. how can I get on the TV? What can I do to become notorious? And I mean, it's, this this whole album to me just feels like watching a 13-year-old smoke his first cigarette. Yeah. Like, oh, look at me. I'm smoking a cigarette. Ooh, God, I'm cool, aren't I? Like, you know, it feels you like don't... watching Liam Gallagher smoking his first cigarette. Even worse. Yeah. I mean, talking about sort of Matt Healy earlier and that kind of desperate sort of ignorant, pseudo intellectual bullshit again this is another person who is just desperate to appear as something this kind of karaoke caricature that and and you can just see through it from a fucking mile away i mean i tell you summed up this record is the song 
kill the pop scene. Kill the pop scene. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Well, I'm absolutely shocked that you, the Towers of London, want to kill the pop scene. I've never heard anyone say that the pop scene should be killed but i can't believe i can't believe they've said that i mean fuck off like i remember the offspring and slipknot in the late 90s mm. talking shit about boy bands i mean right. offspring used to decapitate a yeah. Britney spears cardboard cutout on stage yeah, yeah, yeah. and i thought it was embarrassing then <laughs> a bunch of grown men who have sold millions and millions of records looking at a type of music which is just not aimed at their fan base at all and chucking their toys out of their pram. But at least they wrote good songs. Yeah. At least they were good bands. At least they were successful. A Towers of London doing it seven years later. It's like, mate, kill the pop scene. I mean, this is when the sugar babes are around. Yeah. The fucking sugar babes. Yeah, 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 20, yeah. Even the shitty, like there's no original sugar babe. There's the sugar girls and there's no sugar babes left in the sugar babes. They're still better than you. They're still <laughs> yeah, they more are. authentic than you. They actually are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fucking taking a piss i mean you think that's cutting edge that um what's it called kill the pop kill the pop kill the pop scene kill the pop, kill scene, the pop song. scene it has as much sort of um acerbic heft to it as a daphne and celeste song you know it's mm. absolutely it's just it's as hard as a paper towel a wet paper yeah. towel. It's just a, it's utter just dross. It's fucking rubbish. bollocks. Yeah. About as natural as a bottle of orange squash. <laughs> that is. It's fucking crap. As natural as a twister. It's I mean, fucking you know, terrible. Yeah. It, it's been done a million times before. And, you know, even if it has, like I said, with bands like Offspring and, Offspring and Slipknot, I mean, I don't remember. I mean, if you write a good song about how much you hate pop music, fine. A good song is a good song is a good song. But this... Like everything on this record is woeful, woeful, fake, forced, and cartoonish. I mean, every and and you know the 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 ripping off of artists that are far better than them. Like Beaujolais has that she she was a girl refrain from bodies by the Sex Pistols, but then turns into common people by Pulp, played yeah. by people who sniff glue. It's rubbish. Yeah. The start of King rips off both. David Bowie's Heroes and My Way by Sid Vicious. And it's awful, not an yeah. original bone in its body. And then, you know, when there is something you go, well, that doesn't obviously obviously sound like an exact song that you can pick out. Like, oh, that's Bodies by Sex Pistols. Oh, that's Heroes by David Bowie. Like, tonight I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good time, good time, have a good time. That song... It's called Good Time. So <laughs> thinking outside the box there. And when they get the bloody acoustic guitars out, like on the start of that song, Northern Lights, I mean, that is when it gets it's dreadful, really awkward. Dreadful. Really, really, really awkward. Yeah. Uh, Renfrey, this is this is a disaster, this record. They take a, a disaster. It is. It's fucking terrible. They take a leaf out of uh, Guns N' Roses' book by having... Um, an acoustic version and a full band version of the song fuck it up on there which is awful like both yeah. versions are dreadful don't need two versions of the same awful song no i know i know i was wondering if it was a subtle nod, nod to guns and roses doing it with don't cry um on use your illusion one use your illusion two but then i was like that's too clever for this band 
they don't they don't know what they di- they don't know where their fucking ass is let alone and maybe they just saw that there oh, there's two different versions of a song on this album what they've done we'll do that <laughs> up the punks <laughs> fucking no but this is your debut album and it's a rubbish song and guns and roses split that across two records yeah not, yeah, 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 not exactly. on their debut you didn't do the same song on a debut i mean exactly. fucking hell there's there's Awful. nothing like there's nothing in terms of like songs song craft and the way that songs are putting to put together this is a dreadful album there's nothing memorable there's nothing hooky it sounds rubbish i mean it sounds scuzzy and raw but it's it's not scuzzy or raw enough there's bits where they sound like the dandy warhols for fuck's sake you know um it doesn't feel dangerous in any way shape or form it's genuinely depressing to think that a band like the wild hearts exist who mm-hmm. like put their everything into it and have done for years and years and years and and don't always release amazing material but it's always at the very least interesting and they're t- widely ignored by the mainstream press and have been yep. since the beginning of the 90s but something like this comes along and you get one dopey cunt being a prick in in uh celebrity circles and suddenly i mean that that they didn't do well but they got attention off of the back of a guy being a dickhead i mean it's so you've already said it but it's so fucking crystal clear that donny tourette francis whatever his fucking name is wanted to be famous and that was it Mm. i feel like we should probably talk about the nevermind the buzzcocks appearance a little bit because there might be some people who don't know it yeah um, but and we're still can, should, can we finish up on the rest of the record first because i think there is still more okay. oh fine yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Go for it. i would say the, i mean the production on this record uh is i just i don't know what the fuck they were thinking because it sounds diabolical throughout the inter- like the you th- this band needed to be produced i mean this again it's like you don't know what you're doing because the producer is a gentleman called stacy jones who is miley cyrus's drummer these days um he has produced the likes of american hi-fi the dolly rots who actually are a punk band to be fair to them a sort of you know fair enough punk band um plain white tees and miley cyrus um christ the Towers of London stand out on his CV like a, a, a fucking a massive boil on the face of Margot Robbie. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, everything on it is lovely and nice and pretty. And, yeah. and then you've got this band who are, to all intents and purposes, meant to be the antithesis of that. So... Why, I would argue, have you invited the man who does the plain white tees and would end up playing drums and and producing Miley Cyrus to produce your proper punk rock record, mm. you fucking idiots? Mm. And the reason is, is because they wanted it to sound like a pop record and a big, nice, shiny, sort of uber big rock record. And those songs are not good enough to sound like that. They sound no, stupid. Not. If I honestly think like I don't think there's much in the way that could save these songs, but producing them in the same way as you produce Miley Cyrus Absolutely. is definitely, definitely not the way to go down there because all that does is highlight a how bad the songs are, and b 
how terrible the people <laughs> who are playing the songs are. Donny Tourette can't sing. Dirk Tourette can't play guitar. The drummer's called Snell. I mean, he just sounds like someone falling down the stairs, his drums on it. They are <laughs> fucking they're terrible. Mm. Uh, they are a bad, bad, bad band. And the other thing I want to point out before we get on to Donny Tourette's um, many celebrity appearances on various TV shows is that Permission to Land, to give two kind of albums that have been from around the same time that did this sort of thing very successfully, Permission to Land is 38 minutes and nine seconds long. I Get Wet by Andrew WK is 35 minutes and 32 seconds long. On Spotify, even though the Wikipedia entry says this is 46 minutes and 46 seconds, on Spotify, this album is 52 minutes long. 52 minutes long, which means it is about 20 minutes longer than Andrew WK's I Get Wet, about 15 minutes longer than Permission to Land by The Darkness. And both of those records, which both of those records are classics at this point, genuine classics of that type of music yeah. from that era of that time they could not have gone on much further no you get to the end of those records and you go cool i'm done i'm yeah. done with that yeah the idea that towers of london who do not even get within fucking spitting distance of being as good as you said the worst song on either of those records the idea that they think they've got an extra 20 minutes worth of material it's to laughable. be put on this record it's laughable it's just Unfucking believable yeah. this album is an absolute embarrassment it's embarrassing that you've kind of hit on something a little bit there like it, it's di there's several different versions of this record um there's various different versions with different bonus tracks and so on and so forth which is why there's like a uh difference in um how long the record is i i think the normal record without bonus tracks yada 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 i think it's meant to be 46 minutes and 46 seconds it's still too long um way too long the version i listened to was a 15 track record which has some bonus tracks but one of the bonus tracks was track 11 so i was like this is just fucking confusing yeah, again, like, yeah just put it in the middle like, yeah completely just like you have no clue what you're doing and it sounded like a bonus track as well it was like this has been bad so far but it's taken a leap into something badder than bad <laughs> like you know it was bad mm. um i mean there's nothing good on it it's just a whole stinking heap of shit and then there's a little <laughs> bit of diarrhea in the middle and then there's a bit more shit it's just fucking uh, awful it's terrible um but yes let's talk about donny tourette i think we've sort of reviewed the record pretty succinctly i've got um, nothing the thing is i've got nothing to say about it really apart from it's fucking awful. It's mm. a fucking awful impression of something that I generally don't like, except for Guns N' Roses. <laughs> mm. um, so Donny Tourette on Nevermind the Bollocks. Nevermind the Buzzcocks, sorry. Um, yeah, for those of you who haven't seen it, I've not watched it back, but basically... It's on YouTube and it's well It's on YouTube. It's, it, it's brilliant. It's the uh, very excellent Simon Amstel mm. era. I love of never mind the buzzcocks and donny tourette lights a cigarette halfway through doesn't he he, he does. lights a cigarette and in the studio <laughs> in the studio and simon Amstel goes oh no donny's smoking like what a shocking 
thing to do. <laughs> like he he's says, like, What's Dolly this? is smoking a cigarette you can legally buy in shops. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, good. it's really good. And he also, he also shows... branded Tourette as punk as Enya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And it just highlights, I mean, you know, you kind of, it probably the conversation people had been having up and down the country who had heard this band for a couple of years anyway but it's so great to see simon amstel actually say the thing to the guy that everybody has been thinking that he is a fucking prick and that he is not punk and that he is not even not i mean you know that whole thing like you're not punk that sounds like a you know a sort of silly thing to say but or that you know like oh you're not real or whatever but when someone is like we were saying earlier like when you are that fucking desperate to come across like you are johnny rotten i mean i don't know why the towers of london couldn't have just thought let's form a band and try and do a kind of meld of guns and roses and sex pistols and just see if we can write some really good songs do what the manic street that's what the manic street preachers did when they started that is what the manic street preachers did you know that's what airborne did with acdc and they did it very well that's what the darkness did with kind of Thin Lizzy and Queen. Yeah. I mean, and they, and then, and then they went, oh, let's buy a jumpsuit. And then they went, oh, let's (laughs) neck a bottle of wine on stage. And then they went, let's spray paint our clothes with slogans. They didn't buy all the clothes first and then buy the instruments and get a record deal and get a TV show and, you know, and go walking around saying, oh, we're the biggest band in the world. And everyone go, right, we've got that on camera now. You you guys got an album ready? Huh? Oh, what we got to write? We've got to actually write music as well. Oh, fuck. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, it can't be that hard, can it? Yeah, it is, mate. It's actually pretty integral to you (laughs) and your existence as a band. Um, Yeah. Pathetic. Um, Renfrey, where do you want to put this? So here is my only quandary with this. Whilst Blood, Sweat and Tears is... Towers. Oh, sorry. Yes. Whilst blood, sweat and towers. Donny Tourette's going to come round and duff you up, mate. <laughs> Quite like an opportunity to um, <laughs> duff him in return. Um, whilst it's definitely a contender for our top spot on the Broken Records chart, I don't think anyone will be too surprised to hear after the drubbing we've just given this. I kind of don't want to give them the satisfaction of having a number one record. <laughs> 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 which is why I'm tempted to put it at number two. But basically it's either number one or it's number two. Um, I For me. was looking at it and I was going, okay, right now you do go. Okay. So straight away that three of very good artists, Lauren Hill, Lou Reed and Bob Dylan, yeah. you, you, like you're not even in the that. conversation. Um, the enemy and dirty Vegas are kind of too boring to be considered so i think they get above that then you have this kind of um quartet of sort of hilariously bad quite offensive stupid um egomaniacal nonsense which is viva brother louis the 14th queen of paul rogers and richard ashcroft aka Um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse (laughs) 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 yeah and i think um all of those albums are either grotty sort of pathetic or funny 
Do you know what I mean? Just yeah, like, yeah, like very. A, fu- so that's a fair I, assessment I, in one sentence and, of four albums. <laughs> yeah. And I think this, and I think this record is all of those things. Yes. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of think it's above all of those as well. Yeah. You then come to Eogen, and Eogen is. I mean, I kind of posited Eogen for the worst spot because I felt like it was kind of child abuse, and I felt like it was. You know, it showed how disgusting the music industry can be. Well, I tell you what, if if that's a disgusting reflection of the music industry, Towers of London is an appalling, appalling um, reflection on the music industry. It's a, it's and particularly within, particularly like, you know, Eogan's a pop kid from the X Factor. You kind of know what, you, what you're going to get. You kind of know what that is meant to be you know we hold punk rock and you know quote i don't want to say real music but you know we hold kind of that type of music in a slightly higher esteem than we would do that so yes i think it really does come down to six feet under graveyard classics volume two and blood sweat and towers now i'll I'll say one more thing for jorgen quig um there is an innocent party in the Jorgen quig thing and that's Mm. eorgen yeah. Um, who's probably still crying over the fact that we mispronounce his name on purpose every week. Uh, yeah, but, I but, don't think he knows about it. No, I don't He's think he right. um, But there are, I don't think there's any innocent parties in this. Hair there. No. Therefore, it's above Eogan. It's almost more cynical. Or mm-hmm. Even if it's as as cynical as Eogan. I mean, fucking imagine that. Imagine being, imagine being a punk band, but being as cynical as someone off the X Factor. Ooh. fuck me so it comes down to six feet under graveyard classics volume two now the one thing i think that was keeping six feet under other than the fact that it is fucking ludicrous to hear such a stupidly bad death metal band attempt to do a classic album like back in black and the production is laughable six feet under it starts on the base with some fucking inc- the, the, what it has to work with is incredible material the songs are good the songs are great um i think because the production on it was so staggeringly bad that was one of the things that was keeping it at number one well i would say as bad as the production is on graveyard classics volume two we have equally at this point production wise stacy jones of plain white tees and miley cyrus fame (laughs) getting in bed with these tosses uh <laughs> one of the stupidest ideas production wise i think i've ever heard a, a comedy of errors do you know to actually go out of your way to go let's try and make them sound like <laughs> fucking busted what <laughs> i agree that the idea is as bad i think i don't think I don't think Blood, Sweat and Towers is a badly produced record. I think it's been produced by the wrong person. Whereas Graveyard Classics 2 is badly produced. But is it not a producer's job to get the best out of the band that you're producing? I mean, clearly, yeah. I don't think it sounds like Stacey Jones is a producer, really. he just has He's maybe just a one-trick pony. Um, and Who shouldn't knows? somebody at some point have listened back to this and gone, do you know what? 
much like Oasis did with Definitely Maybe there, all those sessions they did before Owen Morris came in and they were listening back and going, you don't sound like you do live. And it's it's a, it's a thing that's happened for many, 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 many years mm. where bands will go into a studio and they will record something and the label will go, it just doesn't sound right. It just doesn't suit you. It doesn't sound right. We've made a mistake here, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then they'll go away and they'll change it and they'll talk about how, you know, we were worried in the studio. I mean, I think obviously definitely maybe it is the, the obvious one to go to maybe in utero for a long time i mean i don't know if that's yeah that might be slightly controversial because i know a lot of people would have liked to have heard the steve albini version but obviously the label went nice too much we can't slightly different thing there admittedly but it's an absolutely ridiculous decision to have produced this this band in this way and it just is it the tinnedness the the you know the just and it just smacks of like, well, fuck it, whatever. We've recorded the songs. They sound like they how they sound. Out they go. It is a ridiculous decision. My counter to it is, is it really Stacey Jones's fault? Um, no, it's not. I'm... You said how a producer's job is to get the best out of the artists that they're sent to work with. And broadly, I think that is a very general description of what a producer does. Um, but I'm, I'm a bit like could ross robinson have got anything out of the towers of london if, if there's no, no talent to squeeze you ain't gonna squeeze no. any talent you know but ross robinson has heard never mind the bollocks and he's heard appetite for destruction mm. and he presumably would have heard towers of london play and he presumably would have gone let's cloak all this in feedback and lo-fi true whatever and let's try and you know make this sound as as grim and gut and, and dirty as we possibly can to hide the imperfections there are plenty of punk bands who are shit musicians whose recordings sound full of vigor and energy and life and power yep. because they just whacked it on and they played and they didn't polish it and they didn't you know and that that's that was always the beauty of punk rock which again goes to show how this has got nothing to do with the initial ethos of punk rock you yeah. don't understand what it is they're doing so yes i do think it's badly produced i also think they probably looking at the guy who produced you know he's producing miley cyrus i'm sure he's probably fairly expensive in fact i would say he's definitely more expensive than uh, the guy who produced six feet under um I'm going to see who I'm going to see who recorded Graveyard Classics Volume Two. Wasn't just it the guitarist? I thought it let was me have a little look. It may well have been. Um, which yeah, and that goes to show that alone goes to show. Well, it's not even like they had a lot of money to spend on it. <laughs> yeah. So true. it was. We don't even have a producer. It doesn't even say who produced it. I oh, know, but yeah, <laughs> production by Chris Barnes. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. So yeah, so Chris Barnes himself produced that, which makes me think they just don't have any money. Yeah, which yeah. is which it doesn't forgive the fucking disastrous job they did on it, but it I think it makes it slightly less bad. So yeah, I agree. I'm going to posit that a there is a negligible amount of um of of like who's worse production wise okay. i think the songs on this are a billion times worse yeah. you said it yourself the best song on this is worse far worse than the worst guns and roses song yeah it's certainly worse than the worst acdc song let alone anything of a back in black mm -hmm. and they are just an absolute abomination they're terrible 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 band yep. this album is Staggeringly bad. I think it's the worst. 
Yes. When it all adds up, it's not even really funny, is it? I mean, you wouldn't no, put Richard Ashcroft at number one because I just thought, what a hilarious, like, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? And that kind of, that little tiny bit of pleasure that you could get out of Richard Ashcroft being Jesus. You can't get that. You can't no. get that out of this. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't one of those, this isn't, we brought up the room, didn't we, last week? This isn't one mm. of those things where it's so bad, it's good. It's just bad. And mm. it's laborious and it's obnoxious in a shit way. It has nothing to back up its obnoxiousness. It's just fucking terrible. Like I say, I'm not going to argue it too much because, frankly, I do think Towers of London do deserve the top spot. I'm only going to reiterate my rhetoric of me being uh, <laughs> unsure of putting them there because... But, you know, I sort of jokingly said I didn't want to give them the satisfaction of having a number one. What frustrates me is I wonder if Donnie Tourette would at least pretend to be proud that they were number one in our broken record list. Probably if, if would. If were to hear about it. Probably would. But then, you know, that's what we can't... I can't go on what the Towers of London might think about where yeah. they would be in the thing. Like, Sure, sure, sure. You know, it, it's not something to be proud of. I it's want not. I want to give the number one spot to someone who will be genuinely hurt by it. I think is what I'm basically but the thing is, they will be genuinely hurt in reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. will be genuinely hurt by it, but they'll say that they are oh, good. We wanted to be like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Just like you know, you because we're the like, man, you, Steve. Just like you, you're going to kill the pop scene. Yeah, you really want to kill the pop scene, don't you, mate? Killed, Working killed with Miley Cyrus's drummer. Yeah. yeah, fucking kill the pop scene, guys. Yeah. So you, they can say whatever the fuck they want. Fair. Mate, if they if they told me it was sunny outside, I'd fucking get an umbrella out straight away. I wouldn't believe a fucking word that comes out of those idiots' mouth. I think it's I think it's the worst. It's the worst. It's the most dislikable. It's the most despicable. And it's just the most heinous. I think everything about it is rotten to the core. Fair. It's our number one. You've convinced hey. me. I didn't need an awful lot of convincing, but you've convinced no. me very, very easily. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Towers of London are going in as the new worst album ever made. But they might only be number one for a week, Renfrey, because I'm I picking something it. out. I doubt it as well. <laughs> I, doubt it um, well I don't know. There's some, some shit in here, to be fair. But I'm picking another one out right now. Next week, we will be talking about... Oh, this is... A, mm, Bush. Black and White Rainbows by Bush. Ah, okay. Interesting, right? I mean, spoiler alert, there's a new Bush album coming out quite soon. And I saw your I review mean, of it in Metalhammer. It's pretty good. Mm. So mm. that will and, be and, interesting. And this album is their album before that new one. It's the the last so, Bush album as we record this. Goodness me. It's, um, it's actually Bush featuring Gavin Rossdale, I believe. Yes, it is. I've been waiting so long for those two guys to collaborate. So, um, um, I've well, just tried to write. Gavin Rosdell um, collaborated with too much Bush. That's why he. That's he. Why he and Gwen Stefani split up, isn't it? Well, apparently, so our lawyers. Oh, allegedly. I don't know anything about. <laughs> don't know anything about that. Um, of course, I right. call. I call love making collaborating with Bush. <laughs> Good. Right, anyway, we'll see you next week.
Um, next week, we'll be talking about Black and White Rainbows by Bush in Broken Records. I can't imagine a world in which that will go in above Towers of London, no, which is a fucking uh, tra- tragic record. Um, we're also going to be reviewing new albums from No Effects and Frank Turner. Not individually, together. They've done a split EP. I can't believe it. Uh, apparently, it's really good. We've just been sent that. Excellent. Yeah, so... We'll definitely be doing that. Uh, go over to musicism.net and put Riot in capitals in the checkout to get 25% all of your courses. And go over to patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast and you will be able to listen to all of the many, many podcasts that are available as extras to you there. And um, I hope you enjoy them. Actually, do do that right now. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Just to, yeah, just to wash the wash the stench of Towers of London out of your ears. Uh, actually, you probably haven't listened to Towers of London. It's been us, isn't it? Disaster. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Remfrey. See you next week. Bye. Bye.